Talk Live. You can bring up anything. Just dial the toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And, uh, you know, you can bring up anything that's the point of the show. It's the new 2009 edition of Free Talk Live. And joining us tonight for the first time, well, sort of for the first time, uh, <laughs> Sam is here with us. First time as a resident. Yes. Uh, well, a resident or inhabitant? In, uh, inhabitant. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we got to figure out the word later. <laughs> So, uh, Sam joining us from the Obscured Truth Network, uh, having just made his way here to New Hampshire on this, the very first day of 2009, and I think a lot of people are excited that you're finally here, and how do you feel about all this? I am uh, taking it all in. You know, I was just telling Mark, it, it's, um, the I, w- I, was, I was sitting at his house hanging out, and it, it felt like I had come on a plane, and it's hard to, to really comprehend that. All of my stuff is sitting out in a van in the uh, driveway, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm here for good to stay. Yeah, a cross nation a cross nation move is a big thing, and it's it's kind of a weird feeling not to have home base, not to have your house that you're used to going to, and your bed in the same side yeah. of the bed that you crawl into, your refrigerator's in the same spot, all those things that you're used to having. It's 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 kind of a weird feeling not and, to have. And it. it was really certainly tough leaving friends and family that I've had all my life. I've lived in uh, in the Dallas area. I was born and raised there. That is, it's something different, uh, that's for sure. And, I mean, how were they feeling about it? Were they wishing you the best? Um, uh, Mom had a, had a few problems with it at first, and it turned into some heated uh, discussions. Oh, my. <laughs> Over time, uh, she began to realize that, you know, it's really what would make me happy, and she wants the best for her son. So That's what's important. Yeah, I, th- I think that's how most of my friends eventually felt. And it, the funny thing is, you know, when I was telling them about this stuff a year ago, they're looking at me like I'm a little crazy, but over the last six <laughs> months, they're like, "Hey, man, you're right. Where where do we get gold? And you know, where do we? Oh, do really? This? And, yeah. So they started. It started to uh, to dawn on them that, that things are not what they seem. Yeah. Right and there. a good friend of mine who is uh, has three kids has decided to go out and get a uh, concealed carry permit and and start carrying a gun just because he feels like that's the safe thing to do for him and his family. It's not a bad idea. Toll-free yeah. number here, 800-259-9231. Uh, so it's Free Talk Live. As always, you can bring up anything. But, man, I mean, at least you're arriving. Uh, I mean, I'm comparing your arrival to what it was like when we got here. And we were talking about <laughs> this last night, actually, in our little New Year's Eve soiree. Uh, when we arrived, we arrived to this house that was just absolutely trashed. And we had just driven 26 hours straight from Florida to here, switching off drivers uh, basically the entire time. And, man, when we got here, the weather was so beautiful. And it was it was a Labor Day weekend of yeah. 2006. And it was just so nice and the place is so pretty. And then we walked into the house and, the oh, man, it was just trashed. There was garbage everywhere. Uh, and I knew we were going to encounter a mess, but I didn't expect it to be... To the point where we couldn't just throw down an air mattress and pass out. We literally had to move a I, mountain of garbage in order to actually get to the point where we could. Renters go are great, to sleep. aren't they? When, when I first started listening, I, I caught a few episodes before you guys packed up and moved. Mm-hmm. And then I heard the episodes after you had gotten here. You had been off the air for, I think, a couple of days because you couldn't get things set up. And I was. Right. I remember thinking, what in the world is this show about? Why are they talking about this house that's trashed and the <laughs> drug dealers in the basement and everything else? <laughs> 
So if you've got any renter horror stories, <laughs> call in with them. They're, yeah, this is fair. They are innumerable. You know, it's funny how many laws are out there to pr- protect renters from landlords. As though landlords yeah. are the, the these evil people that you know want terrible things uh, from their renters. All they want is to make a couple of bucks on a property. Yeah, hopefully, at this point, all they really want to do is pay off some of the mortgage um, so that they don't I have to pay bur- the damn property tax right. bill. <laughs> right. Um, That's 400 but, bucks a month. You know, I swear it's... From my point of view, I've been a renter and I've been a, a landlord, and I can tell you, being a landlord's a heck of a lot harder than being a renter. Well, I mean, if you've got good tenants, then it's not so bad. But if you're having trouble, man, that's awful. I mean, getting somebody out of a house, having to go through whatever legalish processes are involved in that—that's just nightmarish. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, welcome to New Hampshire, Sam, and congratulations on what is a a major move. I mean, I I considered uh, when I moved to New Hampshire, I considered it like a a whole new start on life. I mean, yeah, I'm still the same uh, same person. I mean, I guess not because we all change over time, but. Um, Really, I mean, everything changed when yeah. when I moved up here, and it's not something that I would ever take back. I'm I'm so happy that I did it when I did. Uh, the only thing that would have been better would be to come earlier, but I'm, I'm kind of glad when I came when I came because there weren't a lot of people here, and there are more people coming now, and it's so exciting. I mean, almost every week now we're seeing new people move in here. Of course, we're talking about the Free State Project, which is a movement of liberty-oriented activists all t- uh, concentrating themselves in one geographic location. And that geographic location has been chosen to be New Hampshire. And so the move has been going on now for a number of years. And I think it's really starting to kick into gear. A lot of the young people, uh, especially, that have been saying, hey, I'm coming up when I get out of college. They've been saying that for a few years. Well, they've been in college the entire time. So a number of them are you know, graduating in 2009 and 2010. And perfect time to go ahead and, and start a new life for yourself is when you're getting out of something like that. So, you know, you leave where you currently are, and you're young, you move up, and it's, it's easy. You don't have a lot of stuff uh, to deal with. Did you, how, how did that go for you? I mean, we were talking last night about simplifying uh, all of our possessions, and, and using a move is a great excuse to do this. It's a great excuse to engage in the process of really saying to yourself, well, do I really need this anymore? Did you go through that process at all when you were moving, or did you just grab everything and throw it in the U-Haul? Yeah, I, I went through that, and I did a very poor job of getting rid of everything. <laughs> at the end, there was this massive clock on the wall. I'm like, forget it. The vacuum cleaner wouldn't fit. I, I, I'd just gotten, I had so much stuff packed into the to the moving van that I just got frustrated. I was disgusted with all of these things that I had. And hmm. I'm like, why did I keep all of this stuff? Why didn't I try and sell this months ago? And I just, <laughs> I got to the point where I'm like, I told my mom and my aunt who was there helping me clean the house and get it ready for the people moving in. Anything that's left, I don't want it. And they're that's like, good. really? Your vacuum cleaner? I'll take it. Take yeah. it. Just, just go. You can get another one. There's always another vacuum cleaner out there somewhere. So, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a challenging process. I know, Mark, there's probably some stuff you could have left behind that, that you didn't. You brought a whole That's what you dresser think. full of crap. It's completely unnecessary. And I'm using the, the, the dresser. Are you? That's good. What about all the crap in it? Well, I don't know. Some things you use, some things you don't. All right. So 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up anything as we start off another year of fun and excitement here on Free Talk Live. Hoping everybody had themselves a safe and happy New Year's Eve uh, and enjoying their New Year's Day. Is New Year's Day a holiday for places? It's a national holiday. And uh, this is the thing that I I was talking about last night is I think it's a national holiday just for people with hangovers. What do 
do you celebrate on New Year's? I, I suppose that, you know, I, I mean, obviously, what do people celebrate on Labor Day either? Uh, you know, I suppose there's some parades and that kind of thing. But, you know, it's just it, there's really nothing to celebrate, I suppose, except for the, the sort of, you know, big deal, the, you know, the, the sort of man-made uh, thing called a calendar sure. has flipped over. It's a new uh, number. It's a new number. Now you've got to, <laughs> you know, here here's a new day to write 09 a bunch of times so that you can yep. practice for your checkbook. I mean, what? It just doesn't make any sense. Why is New Year's Day a holiday? But it is. Well, I like it. Uh, you know, we had a good time. We had a few friends, uh, got together. It was uh, was enjoyable, and so I wish everybody the same. Sure, uh, you, you can have a, there's any, any excuse for, uh, you know, a nice evening together with some friends. That's fine, but... But yeah, people should work the next day, damn it. Because <laughs> I tried to go to the mailbox and it was closed. Bums. Wait, I called you at like 12 o'clock and woke you up. What do you mean people should work the next day? Well, I'm working right here, right now. Well, I mean, it's not really work. This is fun. All right, so 1-800-259-9231. Newspapers are dying out. The news has been all over the place about big papers like the New York Times, uh, the Tribune Company, Chicago Tribune, all over the place, all across the country. News agencies are uh, experiencing cutbacks. Staff, uh, they're being let go. Uh, printing is not happening for some papers. Didn't you say uh, that the Christian, Christian Science, Science Monitor, Monitor is now yeah. online only? An award-winning newspaper, a really great newspaper. I've got yeah. nothing bad to say about the Christian Science Monitor. Christian Science, I might have something bad to say about. But, um, you know, they... They were known for good journalism. Yeah, they've, they've got all kinds of awards. Online but only now. They're dropping out. They're dying off. Is government going to step in to save the newspaper industry? Some people are talking about it. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. We'll share that with you and your calls as well about whatever you want. 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. Whatever you want, just dial toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are totally free, so enjoy those, including the live streams. We've got a live uh, broadband and dial-up and webcam edition of the show. And actually, we're unfortunately having some website difficulties at the moment. So even though the streams are actually working, the web server is down. How about that one for confusing? Well, it, hap- uh, it happens to everybody. Yep. So it happened to happen this time during the show. So we're busily working on solving that problem. So apologies to all of our Internet listeners out there. Uh, but the live streams are free, and so enjoy them over at freetalklive.com when the site's working. Uh, so, talking about the newspaper business, uh, a couple stories here. First one from The New Yorker, which, so it's a, I guess that's a magazine reporting on newspapers. How are magazines doing, I wonder? I don't imagine they're doing that much better. I, I, I don't know. It would seem like... Uh... I haven't heard a lot. It would seem like there's probably uh, people are just getting their news more condensed or something. When Magazines tri- would condense uh, news. When the Tribune Company announced it was filing for bankruptcy last Monday, Sam Zell, the man who bought the company a year ago for $8.2 billion, Holy crap. said its problems were the result of a perfect storm. You take readers and advertisers who are already migrating away from print, add in a steep recession, and you've got serious trouble. What Zell failed to mention was that his acquisition of the company had buried it beneath such a heavy pile of debt that any storm at all would have likely sunk it. But although Zell was making excuses for his own mismanagement, the perfect storm is real enough, and it's threatening to destroy newspapers as we know them. Layoffs and buyouts have become routine. 
The Miami Herald and San Diego Union Tribune are reportedly on the selling block, while lawmakers in Connecticut are trying to keep two newspapers there afloat. Uh, that's where we might get to here. They are actually talking about the government stepping in. Even the New York Times company has slashed its dividend and announced it would borrow against its headquarters to, avo- uh, to avoid cash flow problems. And there's no mystery as to the source of all the trouble. Advertising revenue has dragged, uh, dried up. In the third quarter alone, it dropped 18%, or almost $2 billion from last year. Most of the past decade, newspaper companies had profit margins that were the envy of other industries. This year, they've been happy to just stay in the black. Many traditional advertisers, like big department stores, are struggling, and the bursting of the housing bubble has devastated real estate advertising. Even online ads, which are supposed to rescue the business, have declined lately, and they are, in any case, nowhere near as lucrative as their print counterparts. No, they're not. Uh, Advertisers just don't want to pay nearly as much for online ads as they do uh, for print ads. Papers' attempts to deal with the new environment by cutting costs haven't helped. Trimming staff and reducing coverage make newspapers less appealing to readers and advertisers. And that's something that we've seen happen in our very own radio industry. Uh, ever since they changed the rules, they deregulated. And as we know, when they say they deregulate, that just means they change the rules for the existing players. It doesn't do anything to allow new, new blood into the game. Uh, but when they deregulated, they allowed more companies to go and buy more stations, add them to their portfolio. And what we saw was behemoths like Clear Channel um, spring up and just snatch up as many stations as they possibly could. And they got so big and so unwieldy, so bureaucratic. I mean, as a, as a private company gets bigger, it becomes more bureaucratic generally. And they... They bombed out because they tried to cut costs to the bone. They uh, tried to have one program director running three radio stations when it's supposed to be one to one. You've got to support all that overhead of administrators. You know, there's the there's the it usually stops with the general manager of a radio station, but then there's the regional managers. There's the the, the people in San Antonio where um, Clear Channel is uh, headquartered. There's you know it's it's a huge company and. Those people aren't producing the wealth in the same way that the feet on the ground DJs and uh, and sales guys are. Right. They brought in automation systems, and th- and that's great. Automation is great. Uh, but they brought in automation systems that could effectively replace people, and they thought they'd get away with it. You know, they thought they'd be able to have somebody who is in another marketplace record a show that was actually not intended for the marketplace they were physically in, but so they could have been in Tulsa recording a show for somewhere in California. For mm-hmm. instance, and they would try to kind of drop a name of a local uh, happening or an, right. or an event, but people figured out that there was actually nobody at their radio station, and that what they were listening to was uh, was somebody somewhere else. Yeah, and took some of the passion out of it. Yeah, it did. People are passionate about their radio stations. So. So it didn't work. Uh, the consolidation didn't work, and Clear Channel eventually the money money talked, and they figured it out. They but, went private and sold off mo- the mo- majority of their por- portfolio. But radio's doing a heck of a lot better than uh, print is. Oh, it is. Yes. Now think about it for a second. People put radio bumper stick radio station bumper stickers on the back of their car. They'll put a sticker on that says "Rush is right." Uh, they'll put a Free Talk Live bumper sticker mm-hmm. on their car. You don't ever see a New York Times bumper <laughs> sticker. <laughs> That's true. It's just, it just doesn't have the same kind of brand. Now, certainly, New York Times does some, you know, there's some great reporting that comes out of there. There's some biased stuff, too. But, you know, it, it doesn't have the same kind of uh, uh, passion that people the, have. The radio stations are always doing the call-in contests and, and giveaways and so forth, and they have crews driving around looking for people with the bumper stickers. So there's a connection with the community that I don't think the paper creates. Yeah. So uh, in this case, uh, that's what they're talking about here is that they're cutting their costs and that hasn't helped them. I mean, it, it seems like the right thing to do in the short term, like, oh, we're financially suffering, so let's axe a, f- a fourth of the news crew. 
and then you just don't have as uh, a good of a newspaper, just like you don't have as good of a radio station when you slice costs to the bone. If you you know get rid of the news department at a radio station, well, who's going to be able to listen to any local news anymore on your station? What good are you anymore? Why why would someone choose you over an internet station? And, and there was a story. I don't know if it was a Clear Channel station or not, where a pipeline had broken in the area. And they were trying to get people a, a warning out over the radio, but because the radio was completely automated and being run from somewhere else, mm-hmm. nobody knew how to get on the air, and, and they couldn't warn any, anyone. That's unfortunate. And that's one, of the, that's one of the areas where radio really shines, is in an emergency situation, uh, power outages especially, when people need to get information. And, you know, the newspaper isn't going to print until tomorrow morning, so you've got to have access to info, and then radio provides that. But if you, you don't have the staff, then you've got to... You know, you've got a playlist that's just rotating. Yep. All right. So we continue the uh, the story here from the New Yorker. Uh, apparently, it might be no coincidence that papers have avoided the the papers that have avoided the steepest cutbacks, like the Wall Street Journal and USA Today, have done a better job of holding on to their readers. Newspaper readership has been slowly dropping for decades. As a percentage of the population, newspapers have about half as many readers or subscribers rather as they did four decades ago. That's a big problem. The uh, Internet helped turn that slow puncture into a blowout, however. Papers now seem to be the equivalent of the railroads at the start of the 20th century, a once great business eclipsed by a new technology. Sort of like the uh, the typewriter or the uh, the carriage, right? Those things aren't so popular anymore, and that's okay. I mean, it, it was sad for right. the people that had those jobs back then and that uh, might have been put out of work, but they went and they moved on and they found something else. Right. You, you don't hear people weeping about the, uh, the the blacksmiths and how they lost their jobs when uh, the cars came around. Well, then again, they didn't have the opportunity to contact their representatives and ask for a handout from the federal government. They back. may have had the opportunity. However, the, the federal government at that time would never have imagined doing a bailout because that's they don't socialism. Print, they didn't print money back then either, I mean, at that time. That's true. So they wouldn't have been able to bail they, they out. They printed it, but it was backed by... By, uh, you know, right. actual metal at that time. So, uh, according to this, uh, the Internet, uh, excuse me, in a fam- famous 1960 article called Marketing Myopia, Theodore Levitt held up the railroads as a quintessential example of companies' inability to adapt to changing circumstances. Levitt argued that a focus on products rather than on customers had led the companies to misunderstand their core business. Had the bosses realized they were in the transportation business rather than the railroad business, they could have moved into trucking and air transport rather than letting other companies dominate. By extension, many argue that if the newspapers had understood they were in the information business rather than the print business, they would have adapted more quickly and more successfully to the Internet. But you know what? It's all right that these guys are going out of business. We'll come back and talk more about it and take your calls as well. This is Free Talk Live. Attention, freedom activists. If you're planning your move to New Hampshire, you know that Manchester is the heart of the free state. But finding an apartment when you're out of state can be a major pain in the... You need Prickle. Prickle has apartment rentals designed to meet your needs. There's no minimum length of stay. They accept payment in silver or gold. And responsible firearms owners are welcome. To find your new home in the heart of Manchester's growing Liberty Enclave, log on right now to Prickle.com. That's P-R-I-C-L dot com. This is Free 
Talk Live. It's your show. You can bring up whatever you want via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are totally free, so enjoy those on us, including the updates. You get signed up. We will keep you in the loop whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Just go to updates.freetalklive.com. Get on the list for free. That's updates freetalklive.com talking about the death of the newspaper industry or the uh, current I guess they're dying out it, it hasn't current it hasn't completely died yet but some papers are switching over to internet only some of them are drastically slashing their costs and having their news coverage suffer as a result leading to even less readers fewer. than they had, had I'm sorry fewer, fewer I readers. always do that don't I mm-hmm. even fewer reasons uh, for people to actually pick up their paper. They, uh, this is a story from the New Yorker, newyorker.com, talking about how over the past four decades, readership has slashed in half at most newspapers across the country. So really, uh, the newspaper's biggest challenge is just retaining readership. They're not really... I wonder how many papers out there are actually growing their readership today. There's got to be a few, but, uh, you know, a few innovative papers that are doing mm-hmm. some amazing stuff. But that's really what you've got to do in this marketplace. Um, they're the, you've got to innovate. The, you can't do it the way it used to be done. Right. And when, when you say newspapers, I think people should actually talk, think about the, the pulp delivery, the, the paper that's, um, you know, the, that's delivered on. Journalism not dying out. It's newspapers, and well, some would say journalism been dead. <laughs> the journalism's kind of crappy. Some some would say, uh, you know, and those people have, uh, you know, some kind of fantastic idea of what things used to be like in the past. Mm. That they imagine that somehow or another, reporting was fair and just and unbiased um, at some point. Yeah, I'd say that there's maybe a little more, um, you know, d- different sources for people that that want different kind of news. You can you can get all your news from Rush Limbaugh and have it delivered in from the uh, the sort of righty angle, but you know, he can't lie about the facts. You know, the same thing is going on in the phone companies today. Uh, large carriers That's like, where you used to work, right? Yeah, well, still do. Uh, large carriers like AT&T, Sprint, they're disconnecting some of them six, 8,000 customers per day. Wow. From landline phones. Because what's happening going is... going to cell phones? Yeah, the kids are... You don't need two lines at home. Remember, you used to have to have that one to dial into the Internet and mm-hmm. the other one for the kids to talk on. Those days are gone because we have broadband and and the kids are are all carrying cellular phones today. And voice over IP's got to be nipping at them uh, That's as well, eating away at their competition as well. Or well, at their good. Customer base. It's about damn time, as far as the phone companies are concerned. They've enjoyed their uh, little uh, monopolies for decades, so it's good to have some competition in that industry. I love how they've had to f- they've had to drop their prices simply to deal with the uh, incoming competition from the cell phones, with o- offering more and more and more minutes and and benefits mm-hmm. uh, and. The voice over IP just offering the same same phone services at a drastically lower price. So it's, yeah, it's great. Now, the VoIP carriers are getting away with uh, without all the regulations that the traditional phone companies have to, uh, you know, jump through all the hoops and well, so the forth. The phone companies have had the regulations, but they've also enjoyed the monopoly of, oh, yeah, you know, being true. a geographic monopoly. Well, so, they're the only ones that can go through and figure out all of the, the reporting requirements and the regulations and so forth. They're trying to force that on some of the VoIP carriers, but they, they've resisted those regulations oh, good. so far. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that. I mean, they've had to do the 911 thing, which I believe is some level of, of regulation. Like, they have right. to start collecting fees. And I think they're starting to collect the universal service charge as well, which is unfortunate. Yeah, to um, provide farmers the fa- same phone service that you get in the city. So, uh, we're continuing here, NewYorker.com reporting on the tragic situation facing newspapers around the country. 
they're pointing out here that essentially it's like the railroad business where the people that owned those companies just didn't understand how to adjust their business model. They didn't respond to what it was their customers were telling them they wanted, and they died off as a result. And we've seen it happen so many times. And some people get upset about this. They, that they the world get, changes. Right. They get indignant about the idea that, uh, oh, my God, their jobs, their jobs. Uh, well, you know, at the, if those people, had, those people were around, but if those people had been around at the time of uh, the Industrial Revolution in England, they would have been called Luddites. This was a group of people that went in and, and actually just they were terrorists that mm. vandalized uh, some factories, you know, early, early sorts of factories because – they were taking cottage industry type jobs away from people, and it's just so socialist. I mean, yeah. why shouldn't I be able to open a business, employ some people? What's wrong with all of this? You know, I mean, and and so the competition that has been delivering the same old product the same old way for so long has uh, has you know is, is taking it in the uh, you know in the pants on this big deal. I'm I'm providing a good service to my customers. We've got a situation in this country today where people have been indoctrinated, I think, to some extent with the idea, especially with this bailout that we're seeing with the auto, ma- the auto manufacturers, where government people are essentially saying to Americans through the news media, they're saying to them, well, some businesses are more important than others. Yeah. And we might like to save all of them from extin- extinction, but we're going to choose to save these from extinction because they're very important. Forget the and ice cream shops that are going out of business. We've got yeah. to save the auto manufacturers. Right. I mean, as though if they didn't save the auto manufacturers that all of a sudden nobody would be able to buy cars anymore. I mean, it's oh. just crazy. That's I'm not sure what uh, even the rationale is in people's heads just beyond some sort of romantic notion that once you start a company – if it gets big enough and has lasted long enough, that it should go on for all eternity. And it's ludicrous. I mean, most people wouldn't be saying that about Walmart. If Walmart had all of a sudden run on to tough financial times, and there's no guarantee they're going to stay at the top forever, but if Walmart uh, all of a sudden runs into tough times, nobody is going to be out there calling for a Walmart bailout. I mean, just because they have so many people that are... Anti-Walmart out there, that people, even though they shop at Walmart every single week, they feel icky about doing it. And if they found out Walmart was having a tough time, it'd be like, yeah, that damn corporation, it's about time. But with some companies, it's so it's America. We need these companies, and uh, it's a, it, it isn't it a romantic notion? Isn't that the, pretty much the right term for this? I mean, it, 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 it seems like it to me. I, I think it's it's so silly that uh, they want to bail out these American auto manufacturers when Honda, uh, BMW, Nissan, all of these companies have manufacturing plants right here in America, well, so they don't have American type names. Well, that's that's all that's left. I mean, these com- these companies, uh, Chrysler's owned by, or uh, I guess they've they've probably been sold by Daimler. Anyway, these companies are international. They're bought and sold. Yeah. Uh, the stocks are owned by different companies. You don't. They're not American companies. What's so amazing to me is the industrial base, the manufacturing base in America, because of all of these new rules and regulations and requirements that the United States government has placed on people. Uh, that's moved it all out overseas and off to China and to uh, to other parts of the world where it's cheaper to do that because you don't have all of these regulations. Mm-hmm. And and now people are wanting to save, you know, the, the few precious crown jewels of America when really the problem is government regulations moving all of the our manufacturing right. base. The, the crown jewel problem. of America was the concept of liberty that we were founded upon. And that has been long tarnished by the politicians that that the Americans have allowed to get into office. You said it. 
Yeah, I mean, if they bail out these auto manufacturers, as it looks like they're doing, that won't do anything at all long-term beyond just extend the misery of these suffering, pathetic companies that obviously don't know how to spend their own money correctly. And I don't know why anybody believes that an influx of taxpayer dollars is all of a sudden going to, and a, you know, a stern talking to from the federal government, is all of a sudden going to turn these companies around and, and make it so they develop a product and service that people are actually wanting to buy on their own. Well, that's why the government it's going to have to take over Ian. And that's what they're doing. They're going to buy, they're essentially getting stock options in these companies. And when they don't pay back the loans, I guarantee you they're going to get more stock options. And and there's another story here about the government possibly bailing out some newspapers. We'll get to that. But let's continue here because companies that can't adjust deserve to die. In economics, I believe it's called creative destruction. And the idea is that when you can't service your customers anymore, and there's somebody out there that's doing it better than you, then it's time for you to go and find something else to do. If you can't or adjust, change, right. right. If you can't adjust, if you can't change, then you deserve to disappear from the marketplace and try something different. Let somebody else take a crack at it. And there are plenty of other car manufacturers out there, and there are other ways to get information as far as the newspapers are concerned. And, and as, far as, jobs, s- as far as jobs go, these, uh, the, the, these auto ma- workers, they still know how to make automobiles. They're still valuable to companies that make automobiles. They can get jobs at these new companies. Yes, they may have to move, but if they want to work in the same industry... That's what's going to have to happen. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. Focusing back on newspapers here in a moment, taking your calls about what you want. Have you noticed uh, changes at your local paper? Have they been cutting back? Has it been obvious to you? Are you even a subscriber? I mean, what percentage of Free Talk Live listeners actually subscribes to newspapers? Aren't most newspaper subscribers over 65? More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, you can bring up anything. It is the first show of 2009. Same thing as always. You dial in, bring up anything at uh, toll-free 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 800-259-9231. couple of changes uh, will be happening to Free Talk Live here in the new year. Uh, one of them is that, Sam, you're invited on the show on a regular basis to sit in and be a third co-host. Thank you. And I think we're also going to hear more from Dale from AnarchyInYourHead.com as well in the future. So adding more co-hosts to the uh, the already uh, fairly decently sized roster. And I think that's great. The more opinions we can have on this program, the better. As we continue to discuss the newspaper situation, man, they are having a tough time. We're going to jump back into that. But first, I want to tell you about the Institute for Humane Studies. They're offering free seminars over spring break. And this March, you can join other libertarians from across the country for an intense and interdisciplinary exploration of classical liberal and libertarian thought. Participation is free. IHS provides housing and meals during the conference. Apply now to attend a seminar at the University of California, Santa Cruz, March 7th through the 12th, or Emory University in uh, Atlanta. March 14th through the 19th. Visit LibertarianSeminars.com for more information. And while you're there, you'll also get more info on the upcoming summer seminars, also available at LibertarianSeminars.com. As we continue here talking about the newspaper situation, we're going to take a break. Go first to uh, Jan in California. Jan, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Ian. Um, I was the guy that called in uh, two days ago uh, that talked about um, the uh, the crackpot topic, but yeah. um, today I'm calling in to talk about something else. Um, being that it's the new year, and also yesterday you guys talked about how you guys have have grown from you know the uh, four um, affiliates to now 50. Um, it kind of 
and because it's the the new year, you know, I'm I'm feeling kind of old. Like I'm really thinking about you know what I've accomplished so far, etc. Um, in eight days, I'm gonna be twenty, turning twenty years old. That's a big deal. Um, so it's really you know a, a ton of dread for me. Dread. Um, what are you yeah, dreading? I mean, well, right now what I do is I I build websites and I do credit card processing. Okay. Um, and I think for my age, I'm pretty I'm pretty ahead of you know most people my age. If you've got uh, an office I'm, and you seem to, then you're ahead of most people your age. Right. Well, the thing is that my ultimate goal is I want to be a venture capitalist, and I'm mm. you know by a long shot away from even coming close to that. But I just want to you know get your I you know opinion um, and also your your suggestions of maybe what what I can um, do to maybe improve my odds of, of becoming that. Um, it's not what you make; it's what you spend. Uh, you know, keep your overhead low. Spend as little as you can on little as you can on uh, things that it costs to live. You know, that's to- one of the things that's going to set you apart from anybody else your yep. age. Is at that age, most people are living paycheck to paycheck, and they don't understand saving, and they don't understand how, how to handle their money. They got concerts to go to. They've got uh, you know beer to drink. They've got uh, CDs to buy or whatever. Yep, and they're putting it all on the charge card too. Right? Yeah, and it's uh, it, you know if you can you know build your wealth in in that manner and you know, keep on striving for what it is that you want to, you want in life, and it'll come. Just don't push it, and don't take your risk. Don't don't make your risk too big. It, I I'm, I, I'm I've been guilty of this in my life, and right right now is not a time for huge risks. You got to take risk in business. Do Do you know right. any venture capitalists today? Have you studied any of them? Um, I, well, I've uh, watched this uh, these shows on MojoHD.com. Uh, one of them is called Wall Street Warriors. Another one is called. Um, Bobby G, uh, adventure capitalist, and pretty much you, um, they feature these these couple guys that are that do venture capital, and it seems like their lifestyle, um, not just you know the the fun side, but also what they do, how they you know invest all their time into a couple of ventures per year, and really just dedicate to that. I mean, it seems like a really exciting to be in, but I, you know, I'm not sure how to raise capital. I'm not really sure. You know what um, investments? I mean, how I would even proceed into stepping stepping foot into this field because I'm yeah, pretty sure the, you can't go to school for the, the, you know for, to be a venture capitalist. The TV show is not going to give you a, a real picture of what it's like to do venture capitalism. Right. I, I mean, they're they're going to stage that and edit it so that it's interesting and intriguing for the audience the entire time, and it, right. it's probably not going to be like that. So. One thing that might be really good for you to do is reach out to some local venture capitalists. Tell them, hey, this is what I'm interested in doing. I, I want to yeah, learn about this. Like uh, an apprenticeship see, or an internship. Yeah, take, take one of them to lunch. Mentoring. See, see who you can yeah. find out, who you can connect with. To, to get you to somebody like that that you can learn from. You'll find yeah. one of them who's willing to do that. Some of them might be uh, rejecting you, you know, out of hand, like, well, I don't want to help my competition or whatever, but uh, some of them are, I think, more than willing to. And I, I mean this for any field, whether it's venture capital mm-hmm. or radio or whatever. Uh, you'll find somebody, if you keep asking enough, and, and that if, will help you out. And if it's like sort of a career change that you're looking for, I don't know um, credit card processing. I don't know how much it is of your business, how much time that takes. It seems like it's online, so maybe some of it's automated. And maybe you could go to work at one of these places that's it's you know one year one year on the job is a heck of a lot more valuable than four years in college i can build up a a large enough um uh base of clients that that trust me with you know pretty much their their business and the credit card processing um that way i understand what businesses are profitable because i'll be you know i I see their statement their monthly statements and whatnot um so i'm using those as kind of like stepping stones um 
uh, that way, you know, I'm not just jumping in making random, you know, uh, investment choices. You, you might also want to see if you can find a financial planner because a lot of times these people will evaluate investments for some of their wealthier clients. And from that aspect, you can learn, okay, what type of investments are people looking for and maybe find some way to get your foot in the door that way. And, and starting now is a great time. I mean, you said you're only 20 years old, yet you're feeling old. <laughs> yes. There's uh, there's no better time than early on in life to learn financial uh, responsibility. I'm not, I'm not saying you're irresponsible. I'm just talking generally uh, to right. to come to understand the idea of how to handle money and to, not, uh, to, you know, to avoid credit card debt and things like that and right. start to apply those principles to your life. Uh, that way you can start to build up those nest eggs that you might need to use to, uh, to go and, and invest in things into the future. I don't. I don't think many venture capitalists were venture capitalists at age twenty. So you probably aren't going to find any of them that uh, did. You know that th- there are probably very few of them that had any significant amount of capital at their disposal until their early thirties or something like that. I'm just speculating on that point. Um, Seems like a reasonable speculation. Uh, but that's one of the reasons why you want to meet up with these guys, find out who they are, and approach them. And ask that, like you were saying, Mark, take them out to lunch, ask for some sort of opportunity, internship, or whatever. That way you can essentially work underneath them and ask them all of the questions that we can just sit here and speculate on because we're just talk show hosts where they're going to know the answers and they're hopefully uh, will be willing to share uh, share them with you. And, of course, an uh, in, uh, in internship in many cases, will turn into a career opportunity. So uh, you could start as an intern and then prove yourself to these people, and all of a sudden a position opens up, and you're the go-to guy because you already know all the staff, you've been there, you know how things are working, and it's no big deal to just plug you in and make you into a full-time employee or a part-time employee, and then you know, you're know you well on your way uh, at well, that one point. One of the things I've noticed about you guys is when, when you guys I mean, started out, I mean, you were just, you know, uh, I mean, I you know, when the whole podcast thing kind of just came into to the mainstream, semi-mainstream, you know, I was really, you know, tuned into the, to the tech stuff, so that's how I started listening to your show, um, but I've seen that, you know, uh, as the years progress, you guys have really expanded. Um I mean, like not just for me, but I mean for I me, mean, all the young people out there, if they really want to commit to a certain uh, 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 profession or something they specialize in, I mean, do you have any um, recommendations? Yes, find out, find the thing that you love to do, whatever it is, yeah, and, and go do it. Yeah, that's even that's if it's free at first. Yeah, you're not gonna if if it's something you love to do, odds are good you're not gonna make a lot of money. At we it both the dump seventy hours a week into this this uh, this job. We love doing it. It's not work for me. When I was on vacation a week ago, I wanted to get back so bad I I, I couldn't see straight. Oh, I, God, I mean, I miss so my bored. son who's still down in uh, Florida, but <laughs> my life's a vacation. My vacations are an obligation. So, I, you know, <laughs> that's that's the way it is for me. And I have to I have to say that, that that's entirely it. The, the one yeah. of the things that's made Free Talk Live work is that Ian handles the tech stuff where uh, we don't have to hire an engineer. I handle the sales stuff, so we don't have to hire a sales staff. We pretty much do everything on our own, and we're able to keep costs down in that manner. And that really goes back to what I'd said previously is be prepared to grow slowly. Uh, our, Free Talk Live's uh, rise has not been meteoric, uh, but... It is firm and stable, and likely we're not going anywhere. It doesn't look like anything's going to change dramatically. Um, you know, the AMP program take a couple of hits recently because uh, the economy's kind of down, and some people can't handle right. three, three bucks a month. But um, you know, things haven't haven't been bad at all for us in this economy because we're not leveraged right now. So we're not leveraged. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, we don't have a bunch of debt. 
Oh, yeah, we don't have any debt, as a matter of fact, which is a nice place to be. And that's certainly a uh, that would be an ideal place uh, for anybody to be when they're going into business for themselves. I mean, some people do take out loans in order to start businesses, and I think that's okay. Uh, But it's even better if you've got a nice little uh, cash cow that you can tap into and and essentially buy the equipment that you need to buy or or you don't take the the, same risks if you're just using your own money. Right. You don't. Uh, nobody's overhanging over your head trying to collect from you. If you lose, which you might, I mean, not everybody wins uh, in business. Uh, when, at you least first, in, hmm? when you guys first started out, do you envision like where you were are now? Yes. Or was it kind of just like, like a, uh, you know, you just want to do it. You were really passionate about doing it. And, and I, you that's just a want good to question. To I mean, I'll address that in moments. Young, what, where you were going to be in thank you for now. the call. We'll address that here coming up in hour two. 800-259-9231. Bring up anything. Free talk live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can bring up anything. Just dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line as we launch here into hour number two of the show. It's Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features we give away. Those other talk show hosts want to charge you for accessing their website. Ours is free, so enjoy it on us at freetalklive.com. Before we continue with your phone calls, I have to answer a question remaining from Jan's call at the end of the first hour. He was talking about how he's a relatively young man at uh, age 20, and he's got a big vision for what he wants to do in life. He wants to become a venture capitalist and was wondering how he could get started down that road. And we had a couple suggestions primarily involving an apprenticeship or an internship, reaching out to existing uh, venture capitalists and uh, asking to be taken under one's wing and shown the shown the ropes, so to speak. And so then he started asking questions about Free Talk Live, you know, how you guys have been doing this for a long time, what was the process like for you. It's a and, relatively successful business in some ways, and he wanted to copy that. But it took some time. Uh, it took a lot of time for Free Talk Live to become successful. It took at least four years of working for for free, essentially, before we started to really make a profit uh, at this show. And it was real slow going in the beginning. Uh, so you can't expect to just uh, all of a sudden you know, break out the door and have money start pouring in. It takes time and it takes effort. But the last question he left us with was, uh, when you started, did you have a vision for what you wanted to eventually uh, create and I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, I knew what I wanted to create. I knew I wanted to do my own talk radio show when I first got into uh, this end of the business. I was a rock disc jockey in the beginning, and I knew there was no future in that. And so I fell in love with talk radio, and I I had an idea for a show and. Uh, eventually, the station that I worked for just happened to change to an FM talk station. A year later, I p- uh, pitched the show idea to the general manager. And, uh, Who am I prepped for you? You did. You did a fine <laughs> job of it. And we got the deal. Uh, we were able to, to get the show on the air, and we didn't get paid for it. <laughs> so well, we got a little bit, but no, not much. No, that was later. The, in the very beginning, right. the very it was beginning. completely yes. uh, working for free. Later, they gave us a little stipend. Uh, but well, I don't know if at that time I had any real vision for going nationwide. I don't know well, if that's did, what my though. vision was. At you did, though. You did. Because um, the, the reason... Well, you would know re- better than me. I the guess. reason is, is you listen to talk show hosts like Phil Hendry and Lionel and, you know, there's others out there, but those were the two of the ones that you really liked, yeah. right? Yeah. Those And you env- envisioned being a talk show host. Those guys were national. Those guys were doing big time shows. I can't see how you didn't envision doing just what they were doing, right? 
I can't recall. Well, I really can't. I mean, maybe it was just like I just wanted to do talk radio and then eventually sure. uh, eventually started thinking about the idea of, of how to syndicate this thing and, and get it out there and get it bigger. I Wait, can't did, say for sure I wanted to be uh, on a syndicated uh, talk show right out uh, right out the door. Did, did you have any idea of the subject matter when you – I mean, you didn't want to just get into any talk radio and become another one of the talking heads, did you? No. Uh, the, the idea I'd had for a talk show was – Free Talk Live, I'd had the idea since I was about 18, I think. Mm. And so, you know, it was four years later before I had the opportunity to actually start that. Um, so I'd always had a vision for a, a open phones talk radio show. Uh, I didn't have the, the level of principled understanding of liberty at that time at, at age 18. Had a, so the had, niche was different. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that I, I think I came across a recording of, uh, of myself from back in the day when I, I was – I think I'd, I'd come up with an idea for the name of the show, and it was like America Talk Live or something like that, or, or Free Talk America or something like now that. Now, tell me that's not a national vision. I guess, yeah. So, so there you go. Well, you know, I understand. It wasn't very defined, whatever you, it was. You know, when you say, I'm going to go to New York, you've got to take the steps to get to New York. And so you, you look at the one step in front of each other, um, yeah. you know, the, the one step in front to get there. So, you know, the, the, the method of getting there is, you know, you have to get more popular more popular and, and get on more stations and more stations. I remember when we first started the syndicated show, so that was back in 2004, 2004. Uh, I said, and you said, uh, look, we want to be bigger than Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh is on 600 stations. Now, I think that we may be bigger than Rush Limbaugh someday by virtue of listenership. Uh, radio stations, I don't know how that's going to work in we the get, future. Hey, we get better ratings than Rush on our station in Alabama, down at it's, WVNA. We are number one show on the station. Right. Uh, listen to that program, directors. If you want yeah. to uh, increase your market share, free talk live. Um, but, you know, so Rush has got 600 stations, and that's kind yeah. of what we were... Sh- I, that's what I said. I want to be bigger than Rush Limbaugh. I do so, remember saying that when we started the syndicated show. So yeah. I don't see... You know, you shoot for the stars. I don't see any reason to, to say, well, I want to be as big as Neil Bortz. He has 100 stations, mm-hmm. and he's a libertarian-type guy. You know, I'm sure Neil Bortz has a great life. And yeah, there's no reason why we can't be bigger than Rush Limbaugh. And similarly, uh, as our caller, we were talking with Jan, there's no reason why Jan can't be a venture capitalist. But it's, he has to do exactly what you were suggesting and figure out where he wants to be. He knows that. He wants to be a venture capitalist. Now he has to figure out the steps it's going to take to get him there. And I think that first step, as you suggested, an internship or an apprenticeship is the best thing he can do at this point. Yeah, um, um, the the idea that somehow we might be too radical for Rush Limbaugh, uh, for, I mean, compared to Rush Limbaugh to be on a bunch of stations, I, you know, I often think that I'm scared of that. I'm scared of your position. I'm scared of my position. I feel like my position's too radical for mainstream. But I was listening to Rush Limbaugh today, and he's saying, look, China's becoming more and more uh, capitalist, and America's becoming more and more socialist. Now, of course, his tact is going to change now that we have a Democratic president-elect. Yeah, he's all of a sudden going to get small government He's going to sound right? a lot like us until the Republicans get in and start sticking their hand in the cookie jar and stealing everybody's money like they mm-hmm. did the last six years. Or not the last six years, but I, I think 2000 the, to 2006. I think as the government starts to kind of fail and collapse under its own weight, the, the, the message that you guys have is going to become... Uh, much more mainstream or much more acceptable to, to It'll be the more people pertinent, out there. Sure. Mm-hmm. It, well, you know, when you talk to the everyday person, it's amazing how much they they get. You know, they're not necessarily on board with the whole government thing. Yeah, if you'd say, oh, well, let's get rid of police departments, like my partner here, Ian, loves to say, that's going to be a lot for somebody to handle. Or I think roads should be in private hands. Uh, for some people, that's going to be hard for them to handle. But when you start saying things like, you know, the government's just a gang of thieves. 
they say, yes, you're right. Yep, and they're now, scared. They, they may very well believe, well, we have to have these thieves, and it would be better to have lesser thieves in there than greater thieves. But you can, if, if you can start on the foot where you say to people, these people are thieves. We need to get them out of as much business as possible. Then you start to, yeah, you know, I guess it would be best not to have them run by thieves. I asked a simple question, what are the taxes on gasoline on a gallon of gas? And this was in New York. Uh, the uh, gas station attendant didn't know, but it turned into a 10-minute conversation that some of the customers mm-hmm. in the store got involved in about how corrupt governments are and something has to be done and they don't know what and oh, you know, on and on. That has to be a feeling that a lot of people share in this country, the the feeling of How overwhelming yeah, overwhelming understanding at some level that there's an, an inherent problem with the world we live in and yeah, not and being able to identify it. It's not America. It's government. It's the, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying... It's us. Yeah. It's individuals accepting the thievery. It's individuals uh, putting up with the extortion. Not knowing that there's an alternative out there or right. how to get to any alternatives because they're they're so lockstep in this government paradigm that they've been taught in the in the government run schools. Let's continue with your phone calls about anything. Talk to Ron in Colorado. Ron, you're on Free Talk Live. Thank you. Um I've got important information while everybody's trying to hang on to their pocketbooks. Could I take a moment and discuss our children? Okay. Uh, we have I'm children close, together? Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm close to the uh, Columbine victims. Okay. A dear friend of mine, uh, her uh, son took eight bullets. Oh, I'm sorry oh, to hear that. And we've still been working on this. Here we are, 10 years. Uh, 2009 marks our 10-year anniversary on this. Mm-hmm. And in that, those 10 years, we've learned a great deal. Most important is that uh, the spin that's been generally accepted that uh, the tragedy was about two boys angry at their classmates isn't the truth. Well, what is the truth? The truth is not going to be hard for you to uh, accept, and don't yell at me because I didn't. We've just been investigating this, and this okay. is what we've discovered. All okay? right, lay it out. It, well, here it is to you. Then mm-hmm. it appears that these two boys were molested by Jeffco deputies. By, by what? And deputy? they were taking revenge for this arrest. They were molested by the sheriff. Uh, yes, sir. Hmm. And, well, uh, why would they take I the revenge on? I to share this with you. It's terrible information. Well, if it's true, I, mean, I have no reason to dis- I have no reason to disbelieve you. Uh, I mean, obviously you're really involved, but why would they take out school children if it was the sheriffs that did the damage? Well, you know, it's hard to judge what goes on in a crazy kid's mind. Yeah, and I'd have anger. to agree. The FBI's reports that they were probably psychotic had a lot to do with it, but they don't explain why they were psychotic. We discovered that the boys were put on medication because. Dealing with depression. Now, it certainly it could be a trigger. There's no doubt about it. Interesting uh, observation or analysis there. Thank you for the call tonight. 800-259-9231. You can bring up whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever you want. Just dial the toll-free number, 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are totally free, so enjoy those on us, including the wiki, 1,800-plus pages of content created by listeners like you. You can go and edit virtually anything you see. Just head over to wiki.freetalklive.com, W-I-K-I dot freetalklive.com. That is when our web server is working and apparently 
we're having some technical difficulties at the moment. So apologies if you're trying to get on our site and it's not working. John Plaster talks about snipers, sniper history, and sniper training. And Mark Hatmaker tells all on grappling, martial arts, and his grueling workouts at paladinpodcast.com. Paladinpodcast.com is a service of Paladin Press. You can browse over 900 books and DVDs on topics such as personal and financial freedom, Second Amendment issues, military history, self-defense, and more. Remember, that's paladinpodcast.com. As we continue with your phone calls, Rich is on the line in North Carolina. Hello, Rich. Well, hello. Hey, what's I'd like to pick up with what you were talking about with Jan in Southern California. Yes, okay. And you mentioned the idea of doing maybe an internship where, where you're basically getting on-the-job training. Right, as a, as a way to, uh, to get a foot in the door in a particular field that one might be interested, as Jan was. Right. This is a subject that is very well dealt with in Dr. Mary Ruert's book, Healing Our World in an Age of Aggression, where she talks about how the minimum wage, rather than helping people, it harms people by removing jobs that would otherwise be taken by mostly young people, but people who might take a low pay, but they're getting something out of it, that is to say, on-the-job training. Yes, and uh, you're right. She does do a brilliant job of that. You, those who would like to see this can go to her website, ruart.com, R-U-W-A-R-T.com. You can read the entire 90s edition of Healing Our World there for free. Or you can go and buy the new uh, edition, which I have. The at, 03 edition, which at, is excellent. Uh, Amazon.freetalklive.com. And in there, as I recall, one of the most, I think one of the more powerful stories that she tells was from her life, where she was remodeling some low, um, I guess some low-income housing or something like that some, that she, I, I presume, was the owner of. And there was some guy who was crippled in some way. I don't recall what uh, what it was, but he wasn't able to move as uh, agile as some of us might be able to. And he came up and he asked her for a job. He asked if there was anything that he could do. And while she she thought to herself, well, yes, I mean, I could hire this guy to sweep the parking lot or whatever the uh, the job was at the time, some sort of menial task that would not have required a, a, a tremendous amount of skill. Uh, she only would have been able to hire him at a, a percentage of what the minimum wage would have been because his services just really weren't worth that much. But she felt she didn't. It's not that they weren't worth that much. She didn't need them that much. She was okay. able to get. She she didn't. She didn't hire someone else to do them, or because he was poor at it. What she did was she just didn't do it, or she did it herself, or you right. know, did it less often, or something like that. So, it's it's not about uh, his not being valuable to her. It's just not valuable enough to have paid whatever minimum wage was. Right. But he was willing to work for less. Was the point that this guy was willing to take less than minimum wage, and had uh, they been in, interacting in a truly free marketplace where men with guns would not come along to uh, to hurt you if you hire somebody at under the minimum wage, then they could have been able to make that deal with one another, and he could have had that job, and she could have gotten that job done, and everybody would have been happy. And likely, um, no one would have found out about it if she would have hired him, but... How do you know, as you know, an employer? How do you know that this guy that's going around crippled, doing, uh, you know, asking for a job, isn't some kind of shill for the, you know, b- the local bureaucrats that are trying to catch people employing folks under minimum wage or whoever would handle that? Department of Labor could be a sting operation. It, it could very well be. I mean, it, it, w- it, it doesn't even have to be that. It could be someone who finds out that this guy's working there for minimum wage and goes in, or below minimum wage and goes and snitches. Or the employee gets angry after at some point, you know, uh, right. you know while on the job, whatever reason. They get angry. I'll show you. And yeah. then they go report. Rich, your thoughts? Well, 
I'd also like to point out that it's blatantly unconstitutional on two levels. The federal minimum wage is unconstitutional because it's not part of the job description. And the state minimum wages are unconstitutional because Article 1, uh, Section 10 of the Constitution, I, I believe, says in part, no state shall make any law impairing the obligations of contracts. Or the idea is that you, as a supposedly free individual, should have the ability to contract with other free individuals to do whatever it is the two of you want to do. But that's obviously not the case. So right. You're right. Uh, has anybody ever challenged the minimum wage on those bases? Has, has there ever been a court case uh, about this? Or is it just such a, a politically correct issue that nobody would ever want to come out and, uh, and challenge it because they wouldn't want to be painted as the evil businessman trying to cut his employees' costs to the bone? Right. Well, that reminds me of Michael Bednarik when he does his lecture, uh, Good to be King, where he, he goes into great detail about the Constitution and he starts out by saying, I studied the Constitution for several, you know, quite a few years. Mm -hmm. And when I began studying the Constitution, I, I looked at the Constitution, and I looked at what the government was doing, and I couldn't see a correlation. I was shocked to discover that the reason for which I don't see a correlation is because there is none. <laughs> yeah, that, that's absolutely true. What the government is today is nothing like the Constitution on which it's supposedly built. And virtually all the problems that we have, economic and otherwise, can be traced to the failure of the government to follow the job description. Well, and to some extent, I would say that that's, I would agree that that's true. Um, if the government, which is, uh, you know, largely an organization of power that is going to try to grow in power, and the idea of the Constitution was to limit that growth, uh, the Founding Fathers knew that, that governments are dangerous things. When the Founding Fathers wrote the Constitution, however, there wasn't a lot of uh, examples in the past that they could look at. Of course, there was Greek, uh, Greece and, 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 and Rome and those kind of things. But I think the Constitution has failed, too, because it was a document that was meant to limit the growth of government, and I hate to just blame the government when the, when the document was put there for that purpose. And the American people are at fault because they didn't rise up. Um, you know, as long as, as long as things are going pretty good, we're not going to rise up and stop these people. This is where Mark and I differ. Mark thinks that if you set it up just right, you, you know, we, <laughs> if we do Mark's plan of, of supermajority voting and whatever other little... Tweaks and need to catches. We got to we got to fix death this. sentences for uh, then you know, executions for politicians that uh, violate the constitution. See what I don't think Mark understands is that when you give somebody a monopoly on force, that they're going to use that to change the rules however they want. And it, it, sure, you can put in restrictions that that hamper their efforts, and it means that it's going to take them a few extra years to get those changed and to get the population used to it and adjusted to the new way that they're doing things. But over time. It's inevitable that it's going to go that route. How do you feel about that, Rich? Well, I, I pretty much agree. Uh, one example that comes to mind when you, when you talk about monopoly, this is one that's so huge we, we don't even think of it much. And, and I'm not talking about the Federal Reserve and their printing money and you know all that. I'm talking about the medical industry. Benjamin Rush, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, said that if the freedom of medicine is not written into the Constitution. In time, uh, medicine will, 
will organize to form an underground dictatorship. And now and I, it's getting to the point where the government is about ready to take the entire situation over and make it even worse than it currently is. Thank you, Rich, for the call tonight. Appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. They already spend over 50% of the dollars in the medical system, but they would like to spend 100% of them. More coming up. Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up what you want. Just dial toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And when our website's working, uh, we've got archives there. There are a lot of them, in fact, going back for an entire year. We give it all away free for you over at freetalklive.com. Hopefully we'll have this site up by the end of the show. Did you know that over 35% of IT admins admit to snooping through their boss's email? Shouldn't your business email be secure? PrivacyHarbor.com is an email alternative that's both private and confidential, guaranteed. PrivacyHarbor.com, because normal email is not secure. That's PrivacyHarbor.com, continuing with your calls. Paula, in Florida, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Paula. Hi. You're on the air. This is what I wanted to ask y'all. Do y'all know what states are involved with this constitutional convention they're trying to get started? Uh, no, I've heard about it, and um, you know, I, I I don't know much about it. I don't hold a lot of hope for this constitutional convention. I think that likely what's going to happen to it, if they even do manage to get it off the ground, is that the uh, socialists will take over, and suddenly we'll have a constitution that's far worse than the one we have. Yeah, because they said there's a, they like two states and having enough to get it done. That's what I've heard. Uh, yeah. I don't know how true it is. Uh, that I re- we originally got that news from Chuck Why would Baldwin. a state go in to even get into this? If a state, uh, you know, enough politicians in the state really wanted to change the way things are governed, they could just secede. Well, maybe they don't feel like that's a realistic possibility considering what happened in the 1800s well, when somebody tried that. Don't fire on any forts. Well, yeah, but Mark, what happens when people stop getting Social Security checks after they secede? So that yeah, that could be, be really politically unpopular. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Well, they said some people showed up at one of the states about this, and they were fighting it. And so it didn't get done And uh, you know, to join this thing. But I didn't know if, you know if our state down here had anything to do with it. But I'm going to find out something tomorrow. But uh, Well, get on the phones and figure it out, Paula. I can't say that it's going to uh, be good. Whatever ends up happening, if this constitutional convention goes through, it's probably going to mean that the United Socialist States of America will become even more obvious, which... Yeah, maybe that's not such a bad thing after all. Maybe it'll really drive home the point that uh, the government really could give a flip about what the Constitution says and that trying to get back to the Constitution once it's been changed is not a very um, worthwhile thing for people to do if that's what they're seeking is is some sort of lesser regulatory environment or more freedom. Uh, I don't think that getting back to the Constitution is going to solve our problems that we have in this country. Uh, So if they change the Constitution, I find myself... uh, Having a tough time really caring. I'd love to get well, back to the Constitution. I'll tell you what, I think my answer would be turning over in their graves, you know, seeing this happening, that they help write it. But uh, the thing is, um, I mean, this country, these people got to you know, start racing cane about this. Thank you, Paula, for the call. Uh, 800-259-9231. So, Mark, you want to get back to slavery? Is that what you want to get back to? You want to get back to where a black man is uh, three-fifths of uh, of a white man? Yeah, well, there's the... Women uh, can't vote? Certainly the way things were for blacks and the way things were for Indians is uh, re- really yeah. great examples of how the Constitution failed. This is, why, uh, this is why saying you want to get back to the Constitution can really be a negative. 
yep. I think, for a lot of people. I think you're right. I think that there should be those caveats made when uh, when you say that. Moving forward toward liberty, moving, uh, advancing, evolving to a voluntary society, I think that's something that's uh, that's worthy of doing. And if that means slashing government drastically back before eliminating it entirely, then that's fine. But to say we want to go back to what things were like in the 1700s, uh, that's going to... Just it's going to be hard to get people on your side for that. Yeah, I, I think it means really making people aware that uh, hey, maybe we don't need government to do all of these things that we we think we do. Exactly right. I mean, I was calling the local talk show here in town uh, to, uh, in Keene, New Hampshire, the other day, and was pointing out that uh, they were talking about how at one point I guess they'd gotten rid of leaf collection. They'd uh, slash back the government leaf collection service. In order to save like $80,000 a year, and people started complaining. They were complaining about uh, the fact that their leaves weren't getting picked up or that the, the leaves that weren't getting picked up when it would rain, it blocked the, the grates, the storm drains, and so the flooding, you know, flooding would happen as a result of it. And they made it sound like uh, that Keene was thrown into a state of chaos as a result of not having the government pick up the, the leaves because apparently they believe that people just are not responsible enough to handle taking care of their own property. And I called in to say, well... You might not believe this, but around the rest of the country, most people have government garbage pickup service. And if you told those people that you had a, you lived in a place where you could choose who picked up your garbage, where you could hire somebody from a variety of different companies to pick up your garbage for you, or you could choose not to hire anybody and just throw it in the back of your pickup truck and take it down to the, uh, to the dump yourself, having the ability to make that choice, most people wouldn't believe you. I think that most people would say, well, they'd be shocked that, that there w- wouldn't be piles of garbage uh, just accumulating in people's side and, and backyards. And we don't have that problem here because people are responsible for their own property as far as getting garbage removed from it. And, you know, it Any it transition is going to require some, you know, some people getting used to it. Likely, a lot of people didn't even know that they weren't going to get their leaves picked up by the government because the government had been doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that uh, the government doesn't create welfare queens that expect them to take care of everything. Yeah. And that's what these people were, leaf queens. Step back from the argument a minute and think about who runs water and sewer in the city of Keene. That would be the city of Keene. Yeah, the government. So in any other uh, company that, that pr- provides an infrastructure out there, if their infrastructure has problems, who's responsible for fixing it? Uh, the, the company? Yeah. So why is this a problem that the city's dealing with? Why wouldn't the um, the drainage company, if it was private, they, this would just be something that they would handle. They would redesign the grates so that the leaves wouldn't uh, stop them up. <laughs> they would do who knows what. I don't have the answer, but... Private individuals seeking a profit, looking to do things better, a more efficient, a more effective way, would find the answer. Right, and I'd called in, and I was talking about this with them, and they said, well, what about the flooding? I mean, people were having flooding happen, and I said, well, you know, if that was happening, and it was coming to the, the point where it was inconveniencing my life, I mean, if you want your basement to flood, that's your business, you don't want to pick up the leaves, but if it starts to spread across the street over to my house, then I'm going to go over there and remove them myself, or I'm going to hire somebody to do it, and they seemed shocked that I would be willing to hire somebody to pick up my neighbor's leaves from uh, from their storm grates. You know what, you might uh, send the bill to your neighbor and say, hey, you know, I, I took care of that leaf problem that you had um it's your leaves blocking up the drain over there and i don't know necessarily whose leaves they would be this is leaves would be a very difficult thing to decide who's polluting whose property yeah, and we need tracking numbers right. little micro dots on each leaf. you know trees cross property and all that other stuff and you know i can see that it might be a problem however i the biggest problem i see here is a drainage problem not a leaf problem mm-hmm. they have p- designed poor drains it's exactly. that hard to collect to, to make drains where leaves can go down them. Yeah, they, do, they do it for pools. 
<laughs> yeah, these drains have been, probably not been updated since the 1940s or something like that. They've probably been there forever. Well, that's because the government has no competition. Exactly. They have no incentive to do anything differently. They have no incentive to improve upon their existing system because you can't opt out. And, you know, the, the mayor actually called in after me to say, to, to brag about how uh, cheap the leaf, uh, leaf pickup was. And to be fair to, to him, he made a good point. He it's said cheap. it was only like 80 grand a year for but the whole city. 10,000 taxpayers is eight, eight bucks a piece. I want some, I have some questions about that, though. What is is this eighty thousand dollar number? Is this how much it costs the city to pick up uh, the leaves, or is this how? I want to know how much those bureaucrats cost to do it too, because they had to take people off of other jobs. You know, you've got the broken window fallacy here. The the fact is, those bureaucrats, as little as they work, were doing something besides collecting leaves the week before. Mm-hmm. So now they're reallocated. Are you telling me that as many bureaucrats go around and pick up these leaves, that the 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 portion of their uh, um, paycheck is only coming down to eighty thousand dollars plus? the equipment plus the dumping fees hmm i don't know whether i believe the number i want to i want to go through the numbers i I question that too he made it sound like it was uh ten thousand houses in Keene, eighty thousand so about eight bucks to to clean up the leaves from the yard how many of those houses are apartments uh where they don't have trees or you know how how inflated is that ten thousand number i can't believe that they would do it for eight bucks yeah well and also what about uh what's the length of time you're dealing with i mean they're only really picking up leaves during the fall so this isn't like a year-round operation right they're only probably going around what a couple times a year to pick up leaves from people's uh, from these storm drains there can't be that many storm drains so odds are good that if it costs eighty thousand dollars for the government to do it in private hands, it could be $40,000 or maybe even less. So because we don't have private competition in that area, we won't know. We can't really accurately calculate what that would cost. And indeed, there's something to be said for a bulk purchase uh, in that if you have a whole neighborhood of people with multiple storm drains and they all hire the same company to come and do it, then that company can go and it can hit every single storm drain in that area. Whereas if it's each homeowner that's hiring somebody different, then they have to you know like jump down they're you know, only going to pick the leaves out of this drain, and then we have to go over this other street and pick them out over there. It's much more uh, s- separated. Uh, the there's economy no of scale. Energies. Yeah, there's no economy of scale there. And so I, I just, look, I, I wouldn't mind paying 8 bucks a year if it was a voluntary choice. It's not so bad, but just let me choose whether or not I want to. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up anything if you dial toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com, the features on the site we give away. Now, if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, we need you to vote for us. It's a new month, and that means we need your vote over at vote.freetalklive.com. It's a monthly contest. Uh, that runs over at Podcast Alley, one of the uh, the major podcast websites out there. Uh, Mark, you're telling me we're currently in number two, the number two That's spot? Correct. Okay, so we do definitely need your votes to push up to the uh, first place uh, category there. Uh, we won in the month of December. In fact, we've been first place for the last several months, and we want to continue our winning streak, and we can't do it without you. So please go to vote.freetalklive.com. It takes you less than a minute. All you need is an email address, and that's only used for verification purposes, just to make sure you're a real-life human being uh, instead of some sort of voting robot. 
So head on over to vote.freetalklive.com. Cast your vote for Free Talk Live. And if you feel like it, you can leave a comment as well. It's always, it's always fun reading the, uh, the comments that people leave for this show. And it, it's just, it warms my heart mm-hmm. uh, to, to know that people uh, appreciate what we're doing here. So we appreciate you listening and uh, appreciate your help over at vote.freetalklive.com. So last uh, last hour we actually started the show by talking about newspapers and how it is they're having a real tough time. There was a story from New Yorker uh, from the New Yorker magazine talking about the financial difficulties the newspapers are uh, are are feeling. And there's a different story over in Reuters that talks about how apparently in Connecticut they're actually throwing around the idea of a government bailout of some sort of the newspaper business, which is really crazy. Reuters re- uh, reporting Connecticut lawmaker Frank Nicastro sees saving the local newspaper as his duty, but others think he and his colleagues are setting a worrisome president, or precedent President rather, for government involvement in the U.S. press. Nicastro represents the 79th Assembly District, which includes Bristol, city of about 61,000 people outside Hartford, the state capital. Its paper, the Bristol Press, may fold within days, along with a Herald in nearby, uh, nearby New Britain. That's because publisher journal Register, in danger of being crushed under hundreds of millions of dollars of debt, says it cannot afford to keep them open anymore. Nicastro and fellow legislators want the papers to survive and petition the state government to do something about it. He said the media is a vitally important part of America, particularly local papers that cover news ignored by big papers and television and radio stations. To some experts, that sounds like a bailout, a word that has resurfaced this year after the U.S. government agreed to give hundreds of billions of dollars to the automobile and financial sectors. Relying on government help raises ethical questions for the press, whose traditional role has been to operate free from government influence as it tries to hold politicians accountable to the people who elected them. Even some publishers, desperate for the help, are wary of taking this route. And I think it's very interesting that these government guys have taken an interest in bailing out the newspapers. And I think that it has something to do with the fact that, I'm sorry, newspapers in this country are not known for holding politicians' feet to the fire. They're known for being flunkies. Uh, They're known for just essentially parroting whatever the government says. If the government sends out a press release, the newspaper rewords it a little bit puts their own headline on it, and prints it. Uh, So the journalism factor in this country is pretty dismal, and so I don't think anybody really believes for a moment that that newspapers, especially in in marketplaces where there's only one newspaper, is in any way as objective as it could be. Uh, And I think that what we're dealing with here are government guys that realize that the newspapers are buttering their bread. The newspapers are – they fawn all over politicians, and – they're an effective propaganda arm of the state. Exactly. They may pick the occasional politician that they don't like and go after them, but for the most part, they just deliver the state's propaganda, and they deliver it effectively to an older audience, and and the, it's really scary to these guys, these old dinosaur types, that their buddies over at the paper are having a tough time, because if they're having to deal with Internet news sources, there are several Internet news sources to deal with. I mean, an unlimited supply of Internet news sources. Anybody can start their own internet news source. Everybody, anybody can have a blog. Anybody can put up a website. And they understand that that means there's competition for news, and that means that more people are going to be more critical of their activities. Whereas if they have that, that official paper, the the New London Register or whatever it is, then that there's uh, there's a real benefit to the politicians and the political class. But if it's decentralized as the internet is, then it uh, it threatens them to some extent. And I think that's what the motivation is here for this. 
Yeah, and I, there's really I don't see anything that's going to save the the traditional print media newspapers. Sure, they may be around, they may be able to find a niche, but as they exist today, they're they're dying because their business model has changed. People are are looking up the news on their phone. I mean, I sat with uh, Jason Osborne from SACL CAI, and he's reading emails, he's reading uh, blog posts, he's reading all kinds of things right there on his telephone while he's talking to me. I would love to see uh, some successful paper stories. I mean, certainly there's got to be some companies out there that are putting out, whether it's a weekly paper for free or whatever it is, uh, there are still some companies out there that are, it's working for them. They're doing something different. You know, maybe like uh, Creative Loafing down in Atlanta or, uh, the, I think that's what they call it down there. Yeah. It's a different, it's like the Weekly Planet down in Florida. No, but they it's the same company. It. Oh, it's also Creative Loafing down there yeah. now? Uh, so that's kind of a weekly publication that's free to the end user. They st- They sell advertising and and if you can put something – and it's got a more younger slant. It's got kind of a – it's certainly a more liberal slant as, as well, but that's not to say that you couldn't start your own paper and have a liberty-oriented uh, slant. It's, it's, it has a lot of bars, a lot of nightclubs, that kind of thing in it, uh, yeah. tattoo parlors. So so articles that are going to, going to appeal to younger people. I still think that even though – even though you can pull up the Palm Pilot or or the, uh, the iPhone and, and start accessing news instantly from some Wi-Fi connection – there's still something that's nice about having a newspaper in your hands. This in the same way that electronic books have not really just bowled over the uh, the publishing industry. So I think there's still something there that people would appreciate if the content was something they were looking for. And I think that's really what we're dealing with is you're dealing with uh, a group of businessmen that know how to put papers out that old people want to read. And they don't really know much else. And the content is is extraordinarily government line. And I think that uh, you know you, America, it's it's far more independent thinking than than people imagine. And that's why Free Talk Live has enjoyed explosive growth. Well, explosive and growth, continuous growth, <laughs> continuous growth. Uh, so, so about the ethical questions, providing government support can muddy the mission of being of holding politicians accountable," said Paul Janesh, a journalism professor in a university in Connecticut. He says you can't expect the watchdog to bite the hand that feeds it, he said. Yep, the that's the truth. The state's Department of Economic and Community Development is offering tax breaks, training funds, financing opportunities, and other incentives for publishers, but not cash. So it's not going to be uh, apparently a cash bailout, but they will be uh, possibly reorganizing the government regulatory structure in order to favor these businesses. Well, yeah, the current ones. Now, if, if a newspaper goes away... Like you said, there's going to be room for a newspaper or something like it, some kind of daily or um, almost daily publication that's going to come out on cheap paper, get ink yeah. on your fingers, and um, it's it, it's going to be there. So what they're doing by b- bolstering this old newspaper is preventing the new one from coming in and taking over that market exactly. share and providing better service to those customers. When a business, we talked about this last hour, creative destruction, when a business becomes unwieldy and is unwilling to change to what its customers are demanding, is unable to uh, adapt to the, the changes in the marketplace, it should go out of business. And in many cases, when they do go out of business, they liquidate their uh, their inventory. You know, the, the paper right. that's going to go out of business is going to want to sell its printing press. The printing, the, the, the printing press still exists. Even if the company's right. out of business, it doesn't go, boop. It, right. it still exists. So somebody's going to use that. Somebody's going to get it at a lower rate. Yeah, snatch it, it up at a fraction of, uh, of its original cost. The, the um, square footage that the newspaper is in, well, somebody's going to use that building. Somebody's going to use the, uh, the office furniture and the computers. All that stuff is going to be picked up and acquired by another business that's going to use it and, and benefit. Eighty percent of uh, my video equipment comes I, I buy used because I can get a, a much better deal on it. I bought a like a six hundred dollar microphone from a guy who 
didn't have heating oil to heat his home up in Michigan. So wow. I bought this thing for 260 bucks. It was a great deal for me, and he got what he wanted out of it. I, I think letting businesses die that are that are not generating a profit, that are not doing doing things right, is is really a healthy way to uh, grow and 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 evolve into what's next. It's how the it's how the marketplace is supposed to work. Right. It it you take the the former assets of that company, the the printing press, the the building, and then all the the infrastructure they've built up over the years, and you put it into the hands of somebody who's willing to to take a risk. I mean, obviously, jumping into the newspaper business is kind of a risky uh, risky move. You better have something. Uh, you better have a plan that is original and different, and is going to excite people to to want to pick up your newspaper. But there are people out there who would be willing to step in and give it a shot to say to themselves, yeah, I think I can do this better. I think I can do this differently. I think I can uh, bring this paper back to uh, to prominence and let them give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out for them, well, it's only their money that uh, that we lost. But unfortunately, or they lost. But unfortunately, the people of Connecticut may be uh, paying a price here to keep some of their ailing, pathetic, loser newspapers in business. And it's sad. 1-800-259-9231. So even if you never picked up a newspaper in your life, you're paying for them by virtue of the fact that the, the government's giving them perks. Yep, that's not fair. It's wrong. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. I wonder if we'll see more of this. I wonder if we'll see newspaper companies actually lining up to the federal government and asking for handouts. Who knows? Hour three's coming up. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. Live, you can bring up what you want. Just dial the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line as we launch here into Hour 3 of the show. It's Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features on the site we give away, so enjoy those on us. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Uh, so let's go change gears here this hour, Mark, and talk about the TSA. You've got a story for us? They're, they're such easy targets, those TSA agents. I mean, <laughs> oh, They're one of the uh, most tyrannical, uh, obviously police-statish bureaucracies out there, and, and they're in everybody's how, face. Yeah, it's amazing how everybody just deals with it, too. It, it, you know, they don't talk... What are you supposed to do? It, it, well, I don't know. It, it just... It, they're so awful, and they've got it sort of set up since everybody's in a line there in a in a queue, as they say uh, across the pond. They, uh, you, if you make a fuss over something, then you're holding everyone else up. So then you look like the bad guy, even right. though it's these jerks that have this little uh, road roadblock that. By their own testing, they miss something in the neighborhood of half of guns, knives, and bombs that they test themselves on. They're that bad. I just went through them, and uh, you know they 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 were testing the baby formula that I was bringing through for Jack, but I got through a a lighter, which is outlawed, outlawed, not against the Mm. rules. It's outlawed for, and it just you know they missed it. So I grabbed it, put it in my pocket. Why would I want to throw away the lighter? I'm not going to blow up a plane with it. I don't know if you could. But anyway, here's um, this is from a Civil Liberties Examiner. Uh, I got it through Freedoms Phoenix. If there's a special place in hell for officious government employees, I'm sure there's a spot all warmed up for the Transportation Security Administration officer at the Baltimore-Washington International Airport who scared my kid out of his wits. Oh, dear. 
Last week, um, I solicited stories from readers about the unpleasant experience, experiences post-9-11 travel security. <clears throat> Excuse me, with post-9-11 travel security. Little did I know, I'd, I'd like to make a point on this before I go um, any farther. Since 9-11... Traveling, international travel, down by 20%. Domestic travel, down by a little less than that. Travel's down. It's not because people are scared of flying on planes. It's because people don't want to deal with the TSA. I make those decisions in my life. I just don't want to go through with that. And they certainly, the international travelers certainly don't want to deal with customs, which is even worse. And, uh, you know, yeah, customs has gotten awful, you know, <laughs> just silly on the things that they're excluding people, bringing in and arresting people, and they, they treat people from other countries horribly. I mean... We, some businesses rely on international travel. We need that. It's crazy that uh, so what's people the story? deal with it. Baltimore? Yep. Little did I know that I'd be my own best correspondent. My family's flight back east, we, on my family's flight back east, we witnessed random shakedowns at the gate after we'd already passed through security, but that didn't begin to compare to the... Oh, that's new. I've never seen that happen. Well, they do the, the SSS secret service. You know, that's sort of randomish, isn't I thought it? they said at the gate. Shakedowns at the gate. So you can't get to the gate until you've gone through security. Depends on the airport. Some really? of them, uh, Kansas City is one of the airports where the security is at the gate. Oh. Rather than entering into the, the main airport. So is there security at each gate for each air for each airline? At that particular airport, yes. That's unusual. Okay. okay. I've never seen that before. That didn't begin to compare with the brief but telling experience that we had at BWI. It's the Baltimore airport. On the return leg of our journey, my wife and I checked in without incident. We then headed to the security checkpoint with our three-and-a-half-year-old son in tow. The very first TSA officer we encountered glanced at our ID and our boarding passes and then proceeded to interrogate my kid. (laughs) What's your name, son? Can you tell me your name? He shuffled through our boarding passes and then started again. What's your name? Can you tell me? He barely acknowledged... Three-and-a-half. Yeah. We barely acknowledged the adults saying only, this will only take a minute. Wow. I've got a conversation to have here with your son, and you just stand by if you would. Because he owns the kid, not you. Well, he owns the access to the airport, apparently. (laughs) You don't want to let him talk to your kid. You're not getting on the plane. I seethed. But we were 3,000 miles from home at airport security in a strange city. All we needed, a dangerous city, by the yeah. way. The murder, uh, like the murder capital of America, from what I understand. I, I don't know Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, it's pretty rough. We all needed to get back to Arizona, and getting booted from the airport, or worse, arrested, wouldn't accomplish that goal. Tell the nice man your name, Tony. I suggested. <laughs> tell, tell me your name. Oh, excuse me. Tell me your name. Said the uh, uniformed officer. Officer insisted. Through all of this, Tony remained tongue-tied, with a look of glowing confusion mixed with terror on his face. This could be tough for a kid, you know. Yeah. That's no surprise. Like most parents, we warn our son against chatting with strange adults. And like most young children, Tony isn't inclined to react favorably to sharp questions from random people. Tony's silence may even have been a blessing. On any given day, under good circumstances, he was as likely to tell you that he's a monster or a uh, sharp tooth or um, uh, Christopher Robin as he is to volunteer the name his mother and I gave him. I mean, he's three and a half for crying out loud. This is crazy. About which I gently reminded the officer, and he muttered, he's just three, you know, um, excuse me, the muttered, he's just three, you know, or may or may not have helped. I bet you know your name, the TSA agent said finally. I bet it's Anthony. Do they call you Tony? 
Tony tearfully surrendered in a slight nod, allowing the agent of the security state to claim victory over the forces of evil, and we were on our way. Why don't you take away his teddy bear while you're at it? Of course, at this point, the kid would uh, have nodded if you'd have asked him if he was Mickey Mouse, which <laughs> makes the whole routine garbage. What's the point? To see if we were terrorists using a kidnapped kid as a beard? We could have been yeah. terrorists using our own kid. Or we could have been smuggling the kid from a clone farm to be broken and up for parts by a Colombian criminal um, kingpin. Young children don't carry photo ID and we don't implant chips in them like we do with our dogs. Oh, I hope I'm not, not giving yet. anybody any ideas here. So yeah, give them time. Really no way around taking an adult's world for a child's, excuse me. Adult's word? An adult's word for a child's identity. It's true. I was uh, thinking about this. Um, there's the law for Jack has to ride in a child. This is your right? son. I mean, this is my son, Jack. He's uh, nine months old and uh, just started crawling. It's awesome. And he has to ride in a uh, car seat and has to be facing backwards. It's the law. <laughs> now, on his first birthday, we can flip the car seat around. Hmm. How do they know how old Jack is? I mean, well, you'll I have get to carry around sta- his uh, birth certificate, apparently. No, you don't. I mean, the, the, there's no law that says I have to carry around his birth certificate. So you get some, some 20-something uh, shaved head, headed, uh, bes- bespeckled uh, state, state trooper. trooper pulls up next to my car, says, oh, that child's seat's facing forward. How old is that child? He's one year and one day, officer. I mean, how are well, they going to know? Right. Yeah. How is he going to know? How, I mean, a child, children grow, grow differently. They're different sizes. At this, there's yeah. a huge variation amongst kids at this age. He has no idea. I mean, you could tell a right. newborn, but a one-year-old, I mean, you know, a nine-month-old from a 15-month-old, you're going to have a heck of a time. Now, yeah. what, what Especially if you don't know. What percentage of the population, though, is going to... To know to to lie to the police like that. I don't know. Um, it, it, they would have to know what's I mean, legal. Most of them as far are as so scared, just getting pulled over sure. to begin with. They're they're not even going to think to say something. I like understand, that. but I'm just saying it's a pointless law. If it is, if I want to take my nine month old and turn his seat around, I can do that because I have the you know I list, I, I live in a world of physics. I can turn the seat around and. What is any cop going to do about it? What's the point of this law? They could make a recommendation, and likely, I'd be more likely to follow the recommendation than I would their little law. I'll probably turn it around under the day before his first birthday just to do it. And what was the point of the TSA guy questioning the three-and-a-half-year-old? I mean, where was he going with that? You've got three people, a, a husband, a wife, and their kid, going on the airplane. They've got three tickets. Two of them obviously have to have uh, – well, I mean, I think there is a rule now that says you have to have identification, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to get on the planes now. But you so. don't have to have identification to get on a plane. You don't? But well, the, the people do it. Still, I thought they changed the Come rules. Come on. What are they going to do? Not let you go home? It's a stupid – it's another stupid rule that they can't enforce, Ian. I think they're going to leave these people in, in, in Baltimore because they, they lost their ID? How ludicrous. I, I think what they have to do now is uh, at least confirm their identity. So if you don't have your ID, you need to give your name, date of birth, maybe a social security number so that they can look you up in their systems and mm. see if uh, you've got any warrants and need to be taken off. In. So there'll be a process then. If you don't have the ID, then they'll, yes. it'll, it'll be more than the super secret search. They'll probably take you aside and, and verify, attempt to verify who you are. Right. But my understanding is with my approach, if I went in and, and refused to show ID, that I would not fly, provided I didn't want to answer those additional questions when they call the police. This conversation proved nothing except that really young kids choke under pressure. Was the TSA goon really going to deny us passage or even haul us off to jail if my kid insisted he was a character from Winnie the Pooh? Who knows? But I mean, you want to talk about an even more traumatic experience if your parents were arrested at the airport and then you're carted off to uh, some foster home. All in a city you don't even live in. 
800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves, bring up what you want. How do we deal with this TSA? It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. Just dial the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line for you. And it's Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features, they're free, so enjoy those on us. And it appears our website finally back online. So big thanks to our uh, the, the crew in our IT department for getting the job done, uh, even while we were on the air, managed to salvage the uh, the server, and hopefully it'll stay online for the rest of the night. Uh, head over to freetalklive.com and enjoy the archives, because if you've missed a moment of the show, we've got them right there on the front page of the site. For your downloading convenience, going back for an entire year, free at freetalklive.com. Um, the main sponsor of the show... Uh is uh, SACL CAI. If you, they do collections, early out billing. They purchase charged-off receivables. They handle anything as far as accounts receivables um, with your business. It takes out of your hands something you didn't want to do in the first place when you got in business. Who, who got into business to uh, collect bills from people that are late paying? Not me. SACL, SACL takes care of all that for you. You can see their banner at freetalklive.com, and you'll be supporting a business that supports Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. We go to the phone calls. Gene is on the line in Tennessee. You're on Free Talk Live on the Amplify. Yeah. Well, hi, guys. I hey. wanted to uh, contact the uh, or take on the uh, radiometric dating tonight, but first, how about a quick prediction of 2009? Okay, go okay. for I it. Predict that in, I predict in 2009 you're going to see something happen to the Jefferson Memorial. It'll either have a dirty bomb attack or something... Or it'll, or it'll be structurally unsound. They'll have to close it for construction. That's a really Something specific prediction. Why would you go out on yeah. a limb like that? Because when I was in D.C. this year, I, I, I looked at that monument in awe because all of the words that Jefferson wrote and were inscribed in marble there, you know, they just cannot possibly do anything with it. And uh, all of those words just damn the... Uh, those people that want to control us, everyone. Oh, but Gene, people read so, those every day, and they don't even think about what they they mean. Well, they don't really comprehend them. But it's dangerous to let the sheeple see stuff like that. So, uh, all right, somebody I, make I, a I, note. That, Gene has predicted they will attack the Jefferson Memorial, or somehow well, uh, are they going to destroy maybe it? Just, maybe they'll just condemn it. Say it's okay. uh, got a flaw in it. They'll do something to shut it down. Well, so we, we know you're not allowed it. to dance at the Jefferson Memorial. The people over at Bureaucrash uh, figured that out earlier this year when a girl was actually arrested for uh, for participating in a dance, uh, essentially a dance-in. I don't know what they call it. Like uh, It's one of those things where people just all of a sudden gather, and they – what do they call that? It, 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 where you you basically send – Flash mob? Yeah, flash mob. They did a flash mob over at the Jefferson Memorial, and she was quietly dancing, and uh, she was arrested for it. So certainly uh, okay, there are already uh, some restrictions over there. Go ahead. Radiometric dating. First of all, there's an excellent article on it at uh, Wikipedia. Anybody can uh, log into Wikipedia and read it and uh, get an understanding of radiometric dating. But here's a quick little example of what radiometric dating is like. Here's a question for you. A candle is burning at a rate of one inch per hour. It's now two inches tall. How long has the candle been burning? Basically, that is your radiometric dating question. Uh, You really don't have the information to answer the question. You know what the rate of burning candle you have, in other words, your decay rate, and you know what the height of the candle is now. That represents the ratio of the two isotopes. So with that, you have to make assumptions, and the assumptions you're making is how much uh, you have to make an assumption as to how tall that candle was when it was new. So you have to assume that the ratio of isotopes 
is known to you at the time the rock was created. Hang on, Gene. I have a question. Uh, with with the isotopes, isn't there something left behind? Wouldn't a, a fair comparison be like if you had a, a stack of firewood, you burned it, and then you were trying to tell how big was the fire was the stack of firewood from the ashes? Well, you have. The remains of the isotope, sure, but sometimes the isotope will degrade into a third isotope. So you've you've got to uh, you've got maybe more than one reaction going on in there. But if it's those, just sure. a single, if it's just a single one, sure, you can measure the amount of isotope remaining in the rock of the uh, the the daughter isotope and the parent isotope, and you can go by those numbers. But the assumption you're making is that you knew. Uh, is that you know what the isotopes were when the rock was created. And if you read that Wikipedia article, you'll find a little gem there that I just discovered today, So, is that they're making the assumption that all of these rocks came from the Big Bang. So even if the Big Bang theory is, is out the window, as uh, Stephen Hawking says, now Stephen Hawking was father of the Big Bang theory, and currently he's promoting just the opposite. He's now saying that the Big, bomb, Big Bang is not scientifically sound. That's the father of the Big Bang Theory. So uh, you're making assumptions with radiometric dating. So you're saying that uh, uh, radiometric dating, even though it's relatively accepted, from what I understand, within the scientific community, you're saying, Gene, it's just a bunch of bunk? No, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bunch of bunk. What they're measuring is true. What they're measuring is real. They're measuring the ratio of the isotopes, which, you know, nobody's going to argue with the ratio of the isotopes, but the argument comes into play in your assumption of what the isotopes were at the beginning of the, the formation of that rock. I see where you're coming from. We don't know, we don't know what they so were. So you're saying that the, the isotopes are not a constant and the scientists are assuming that they are constant across materials? Well, no, that's another assumption that we're making is that we know the decay rate to be constant over time, and, and that's a fairly good assumption to make. That's an assumption that's hard to attack. But it is possible to change the decay rate uh, in given laboratory conditions and things like that. So, well, thank you for the uh, uh, five minutes of gripping radio, Gene. Appreciate hearing <laughs> yeah. from you. 800-259-9231. I'm not a scientist. I can't comment. I don't right. know. There's so much information out there for the average person to uh, to, to, to accumulate. I, I think that it's bad to take what your preacher says on faith. It's also bad to take what you hear of, as science on faith. I think that you you need to know to some extent things when you make decisions and as, uh, largely where we came from and you know what started us. That doesn't affect the average person's life. I don't Not know. me. I could give a flip. I don't. I don't know if it was a big bang or uh, or you know dinosaur took a crap and the universe started there. I don't know how it started. I I don't know and I don't pretend to know and it doesn't really have any effect on my life. It won't make a difference one iota for what what comes next. That's how I feel about it. Was it God? Was it aliens? Was it uh, you know just a freak of science? Does it matter? I mean, it's a fascinating thing to to think about and to uh, to study, and I know why. I understand why people are so obsessed with it. Those that are obsessed with it, I understand why. I mean, trying to understand the universe is an amazing uh, concept, and I mean, one worthy of attempting to wrap one's mind around. But for the average person, it really doesn't affect our lives. It's not. It's you know, it's really a non-issue. But that said, people keep wanting to call, keep wanting to call in about it. So you're welcome to 800-259-9231. Going to an email here from Manuel over at lewrockwell.com talking about the idea that government creates jobs. You hear it all the time 
uh, from politicians when they're running for office. If you elect me, I'm going to create a million jobs and we'll have full employment or whatever it is they're promising. They promise to just poof, just create jobs. And it's, an, it, it's an amazing promise, and it sounds good to the voters, right? Who doesn't want jobs? Everybody wants jobs, right? Who doesn't want to have uh, work? It's good for the economy to have jobs. Manuel says, yesterday while driving, I heard an ad on the radio promoting more state spending on roads. Besides being a bit overreaching, is my family really safe with our current roads? The idea of better managed and maintained roads makes sense, some sense, and I thought the ad had a decent point, especially as I rumbled over potholes and hoped to not end up in a major traffic jam like last week. There are potential improvements. Actually, excuse me, this isn't Manuel writing this. He sent this on from Mises.org. Anyway, there are potential improvements that can be made to Michigan's roads just by changing how things are run. Uh, additionally, there are many ways the state could do the same things for less money. But the radio ad made the point that better roads are safer, and that's okay. But then it said better roads make it easier for businesses to operate in the state. Well, that's fine. We'll come back with what their other claim was here in a moment. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything if you dial toll-free, 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are totally free, so enjoy those on us. And those features, uh, by the way, include the Shrine of Female listeners, dozens of ladies who sent us their validated photo to prove they listened to the show. Head over to shrine.freetalklive.com. And see what that's all about. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. Coming up in early March, the 5th through the 8th, just uh, just over two months from now uh, at this point, you'll be able to attend the Free State Project Liberty Forum. It's the first weekend in March, and it's going to be happening in Nashua, New Hampshire, at the beautiful Crown Plaza Hotel, same location as last year. It was a tremendous success last year, and I expect it to be even better this year with another uh, just stellar lineup of big, liberty-oriented names, speakers, people like Glenn Jacobs. Uh, you might know him as the WWE's Kane. He will be there. John Taylor Gatto, former uh, state State of New York Teacher of the Year now turned to the good side and is advocating uh, against the government school system. He'll be there speaking. Angela Keaton from Antiwar.com, Mark Stevens from Adventures in Legal Land, and so many more uh, have been announced and more still to come. Uh, they've only announced one of the keynote speakers so far, and that is Richard Heller. You might know him from the Heller versus D.C. gun decision from last summer. Uh, he himself is actually a Free State Project member. So this is an event put on by the Free State Project. The purpose is to gather Hundreds of liberty-loving people all together in the same place, which is, in my opinion, the, the number one highlight of the event, is getting to socialize and to network with the people that are actually on the ground here in New Hampshire doing activism and doing a tremendous job at it. Of course, a lot of people that are coming to the Liberty Forum are considering moving to New Hampshire or are already signed up to the Free State Project but just haven't moved quite yet. It's a great opportunity to come up and see New Hampshire uh, right when it's at its coldest, uh, right in the early March, so still in the wintertime. And hang out at this uh, this hotel with so many people that are of like mind. Uh, the 
camaraderie is fantastic. And on top of that, you get to meet the big name luminaries, and you also get after hours partying and networking, uh, panel discussions. I think we're going to have a media panel uh, where I think Sam, you're going to be joining us for that. Uh, we're going to be putting it on apparently, Mark, you and I. And we'll have some other people in there, maybe the guys from Free Minds TV, Dave Ridley from the Ridley Report, and we'll talk about doing liberty-oriented media and how people can get in, uh, get involved in that. So that should be fun. Uh, lots of different things will be going on. I don't believe the schedule has been announced yet. So before that happens, if you get registered, you'll probably be able to pick up the early bird discount. Head over to freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Get signed up. Use our discount code to save even more. Save an additional 10% by using 2009FTL. That's the code, 2009FTL. Get signed up. Learn more at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. So continue talking about the idea that government creates jobs. It's a claim you constantly hear politicians making in order to uh, to get some votes for themselves. And there apparently was, uh, this is from Mises.org, where apparently over in Michigan there was a radio ad that was running and was talking about how better roads are safer and that uh, better, <clears throat> better roads would make it easier for businesses to operate in the state. Eh, that's right. true. As though Michigan needs to be <laughs> spending a whole bunch of money on roads right now. Well, I mean, if the roads are in crap condition, you don't want people bottoming out in their cars and uh, ruining their shocks. And, you know, certainly good roads are a valuable thing to right. have. Right. It's, it's the one thing the government does that, uh, you know, people always point to uh, as we need the government for this. You know, roads are the excuse for government, roads and cops. But, you know, Michigan, bankrupt. These same politicians that are proposing to fix these roads, they're the ones who screwed the whole government up in the first place. Yeah, Detroit was looking for, what, $10 billion from the federal government for a bailout recently? That was just Detroit, not the state of Michigan. So uh, so the radio ad claimed that it makes it easier for businesses to operate if the roads are in good condition, and it said that uh, roads are safer if they're, if they're in better condition. And that's all true. But it then committed a logical and economic error when it claimed, state spending on road projects will create jobs and boost our economy. And that's only half of the story. State projects may create jobs, but the proper question is, do they create wealth? The state could easily reduce Michigan's unemployment to 0% by mandating that every unemployed citizen shovel dirt on some state project without pay. Employment alone is not a good indicator of economic success. Overall wealth is. Even if state spending can create jobs, creating jobs alone does nothing for our state's overall prosperity and standard of living. The question then becomes, do state projects, as the ad claimed, boost our economy? And the answer is no. Let's say the state spends $1 billion on road projects. It's easy to see all the laborers and machinery employed to complete the $1 billion worth of projects. And it seems that all those laborers and the manufacture of all that machinery signify new growth in the economy. But where did the $1 billion come from? It came from taxpayers. What use would that $1 billion have been put to had it not been taken by the state in the first place and spent on roads? Right. It would have been spent by people on things that they wanted to spend it on. Now, if now, they know what to spend it on. Right. And if the roads were handled privately, absolutely, people would be spending money on getting from one place to another. They spend money on the gas. Why wouldn't they spend money on the roads? $1 billion divided by the state's population of 10 million people equals $100 per citizen. What would all of those citizens have done with an extra $100? Perhaps some would spend it at the movies, some at the hardware store, some on food, some on clothing, and some may have saved or invested the money. If every citizen had that money to save or spend, then every movie theater, retailer, grocer, or investment portfolio would have received more revenue and produced more goods and hired more people in order to make and sell them. How much more? 
a billion dollars worth. But that's not all. When left in private individuals' hands, that $1 billion will be spent and allocated on the things that are the highest priority for those people. This will send a series of signals through the market of what things to produce more of and what things to invest more in. It will produce fierce competition among the suppliers of various items of the various items being purchased, pushing them to find better and better ways to create better and better products for less. That's how wealth is created. Competition spurs innovation, which increases productivity. When government spends money, it simply takes that money from one place, the taxpayers, and moves it to another, the state employees, the roads, etc. When private individuals spend money, that money always has the potential to create wealth as they choose the best use between competing businesses or banks. Whatever you're feeling on the need to improve state roads, don't let the myth of job creation and a boost to the economy be the rationale. Yeah, it's just not true. I thought that was just kind of an interesting observation, something that I don't think a lot of people really get. I think most people are completely in the dark when it comes to the government claiming they're going to create jobs. Well, they, for no, they're not in the dark. They're believing what the government's telling them, and well, this is exactly what people get to understand one day if they're ever going to realize that government taking money from people by force and redirecting it wherever they want to is never a good idea. Right, and, and it's going to fail if you, you know, if it if you run it out to its end, it's going to fail. If the government ran everything, you'd have Russia. The government's running more and more things, and they're doing a poorer and poorer job of it. I mean, there's no good reason in the world why these people who have never, never built a road in their life should be deciding, allocating money this direction or that direction. I absolutely agree. I think that... Uh, oh, there's a good reason. Their buddies are in the construction industry, and they're looking to help them out with a sweet, sweet government contract. But as far as creating jobs, it does create jobs. A government job is a job. And yes. people see that. They, they get paychecks. They're nice paychecks, and you're less likely to get fired. People like that. Um, however, the, the jobs aren't incentivized in the same way. So the, the, the point holds true that I had said previously is that the government doesn't know how to do anything right. Why would we let them control more and more things? All we're going to have is an inefficient uh, you know, socialist uh, republic on our hands. Sorry, we're, it's just America's going down the tubes. It's true. The more money in, in the hands of the state, the more money they're controlling and they're allocating, the less wealth will be created and the worse our standard of living will become because our money will, uh, will not buy as much as It'll it be used to. It will be spent inefficiently. Anytime it's in the government's hands, you know that's going to be the case. And you're absolutely right, Mark. I mean, that's going to result in a dramatically uh, decreased standard of living. More people are going to have to work more in order to have the same level uh, or standard of living that they had, or they're going to have to take on, you know, roommates in order to cut costs so they can still work at the same level. And that's going to make life a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Just life in general becomes more difficult the more money the government is, uh, is, is taking from you and distributing in the ways that they think is best. If it was left to you to decide for yourself then you would make mostly the right decisions. When you made a wrong decision, you'd learn that you made the wrong decision, and hopefully you'd not make that decision. Left the government, where's it going to stop? It's never going to stop. It only stops when the economy completely crumbles and they can't extract wealth anymore. Yep. And how far are we away from that point? That's another good question. More coming up. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. 
you can bring up anything if you dial toll-free to 1-800-259-9231. Only moments remain, but just enough time for your call. That number brought to you by SACL, C-A-I, 800-259-9231. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are free, so enjoy those on us. If you like this show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can shop with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. Enter Amazon through that link, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. You can buy in over 41 categories. Uh, you can even purchase used items, and Free Talk Live will still get a cut if you enter through amazon.freetalklive.com. Alternatively, if you're looking for computer parts uh, and things related to computers, you should go to newegg.freetalklive.com. We'll also get a cut there. Uh, and that's a, that's a hugely popular computer buying website. It's where I get all my computer parts from, newegg.freetalklive.com. Uh, so, here we are uh, in the remaining moments of the show. I've got another email here that we're going to get to from Mike. He says, guys, lately I've been finding it harder and harder to find excuses to consider myself a minarchist. <laughs> now, of course, a minarchist, for those who aren't, aren't aware, is someone who believes in a, in a very small government. And at one time, I probably would have been accurately described as a minarchist myself. And uh, Mike is having a difficult time holding on to that particular title. He says, my views are falling closer to Ian's views, but I like Mark's practical stance of one step at a time. If we achieve a government that only provides for the roads, cops that go after true criminals and maybe fire services, at that point it will seem almost obvious that we don't need any government at all. We can do away with those services as well. And I don't like I don't, it when he says do away. I think, I think marketizing is a, is a more appropriate term. I don't object to protection. I don't object to fire services. And I certainly don't object to having roads. What I do object to is being coerced into paying for it. So simply transitioning from a coercive system to a system of voluntary interaction and, co- and consent is really the ideal situation for me. Not doing away with the services, but improving them by transitioning to consensual funding. Likely that's what he meant, but, you know, it's, well, you gotta be it's careful better with the, to, uh, to... With the words that you choose. Yeah. So he says, I have, a tr- I have one last little hang-up in my head regarding total anarchy or free marketeerism, and this isn't an argument against it. It's more of a problem that I see with it that I hope can be addressed. And the problem I have is with arbitration. Let's say you and I have some serious disagreement not related to any actual violence. Maybe I defraud you out of some money. Now, you probably want to take me to arbitration, but I tell you, I don't believe in arbitration. Mm. I don't recognize the authority of any arbiter to tell me how to run my life, i.e. stop tricking people out of their money. (laughs) So I guess if I won't... I don't recognize anybody who would tell me to stop doing that either. (laughs) I guess if I won't go into arbitration, the next step would be social ostracism. But how is the public at large supposed to ostracize me if they don't know about what I've done wrong? Sure, word of mouth will spread and ruin my business, but couldn't I just pick up and move to a new town? Then I'll be out of your hair, but what about the other people? Arbitration and ostracism would work in a small community, like with the Free State Project, but what about nationally? What about the idea that somebody who is a rip-off artist could just move out of town and, and then go rip some people off halfway across the country? Well, hold on. If I'm a renter and I stop paying my rent and I move to another town or I leave my credit, I run up a bunch of money on credit cards and then I move to another town, am I going to get away with that? No, because there's credit reporting agencies that are keeping track of this that are collecting all of this information from these disparate businesses around the country, assembling it and and providing that as a service to consumers who want to know just who am I dealing with here. 
And this has never been so much more possible than it is today. The idea of implementing some sort of a reputation rating system. A very similar concept to the idea of a credit report, but I think more detailed because it has to do with everything. It has to do with your uh, ability to keep your word, your honor. And essentially, the idea would be if you rip somebody off and you don't want to go to arbitration, then that's going to result in a tremendous black mark on your record. Hey, this guy is... (laughs) He obviously has something to hide. He's not going to defend himself here. He's not interested in, in going to arbitration. He's He's got something to hide so bad that he's not even willing to hire his own arbitration company. Because if you are – if there's a conflict between two people and one person brings in, brings some, is attempting to bring the other guy to arbitration and the third party says, well, I don't trust your arbitrator, well, they can just hire their own arbitrator and the two arbitrators can agree on a third and final arbitrator to, uh, to oversee the entire situation. So that's a, a – satisfactory way to get two opposing sides to resolve a situation. But if one side doesn't even want to participate at all, then that's probably one of the biggest black marks you could possibly get into a reputation rating. And if he wants to go and, uh, and move to a new area, he's not going to be able to use his old identification. Because if he uses his old identification, there's a black mark tied to that on the reputation rating services, and immediately people are going to know not to deal with him. So he'd have to move into a new area and try to start over from scratch. Now, if you're starting over from scratch, that's probably not as bad as having a bad reputation, but at the same time, people are going to wonder why you don't have a reputation rating. Why are you coming into this area with no uh, background that we can check on? And so they're going to be wary of you. Uh, They're going to know there's a chance you might be a scam artist. And they're going to be very cautious with any contracts or agreements they get into. They may ask for a significant amount of money up front on uh, renting a house or something like that. Or who knows what other uh, careful steps they might take to ensure that you're not going to be uh, a scammer. So if you're walking into a community for the first time and you're saying, hey, I need a job, I need a place to stay, uh, can you help me out? People might be willing to help, but they're going to they're gonna make sure that they cover their butts when they're dealing with somebody that has absolutely no track record. They have no history to their name. Plus, because you don't have a one-size uh, government-mandated system where you know everyone has this state driver's license or state ID card, the, the loopholes are going to vary between the different private providers, but they're going to be incented to close those loopholes and make their, their ID, their system of verifying people and verifying their identity, giving you a reliable information about the person you're dealing with. They're going to be incented to, to make that as accurate as possible, and the government doesn't care. Right. And, you know, I mean, there's it's very likely, it's quite possible that uh, some people would, that, that some companies would get very intrusive on the ways that they would uh, do their, uh, you know, deciding who's who and, and that kind of thing. And that's something that people need to weigh for themselves if they, they're, uh, you know, going for this no government thing. But likely, they'll take. DNA samples or who knows fingerprints, retina scans. Or probably Some not will. retina scans. They're not good for you. Some companies will um, say that, like, I can prove who I am. I, you know, this company says they know who I am because I've given them a blood sample. I right. Mean, so <laughs> yeah, there's there'll be all kinds of systems. Am I saying that uh, that I think that those are good? I don't know. I mean, I think that's uh, you know, I don't know what company I would choose. I have no problem with the idea of being identified. 
Uh, and I, in fact, I like the idea that private companies would be competing to provide the best ID in the marketplace. We have the most secure identification. There are all kinds of little microprinting and holograms and, you know, little factors that we've in, incorporated into our ID card. And we've, we've checked your background and we know you were born where you say you were born and whatever. They could put, implement all kinds of levels of, of security in there. And as you're saying, they're going to compete with one another. So constant innovation will be a factor instead of, you know, every 25 years the government decides to change its its driver's license, which is it's always immediately ripped off by the black market, no problem. So there could be a very easily some anti-counterfeiting measures uh, put into uh, the, the, the free market identification. And anybody that wanted to start up and get a brand new ID is going to be in that questioning category. Like, who is this guy? Why is he? Why does he not have any history? I mean, we're going to have to be very cautious with this person. So I don't think it would be as easy to just waltz into a town and set up for yourself if we're in a system where where identification is important, and it will still be important because businesses want to know who they're dealing with in a lot of cases. Uh, and you can't just waltz in and uh, take advantage of people because they're going to want to check on you. In the same way that you don't start with a perfect credit score and it drops from there, no. When, you have to build it up. Yeah, when you're 18, if, you don't, if you've never had a bank account, if you've never had a credit card with a balance on it, all of these things, you don't have credit, so people are very cautious about the credit that they extend to you, and, and rightly so. The same would be true if we had a voluntary ID with uh, based around all these metrics about you and all of these different touch points into your life. Um, you know, maybe it, it could log into your eBay account and and get your feedback from the transactions that you do on eBay as just one example. But there, I mean, there could be hundreds of different ways that that this. Um, voluntary ID system would draw in information and to help verify who you are and give people a valid picture of who they're dealing with. And it's never been more possible than it is today. Absolutely. I mean, with the information society we're living in, with the immediate access that we have to the Internet and the tremendous resources there, uh, this is so much more possible. But even back in the 1970s, when uh, the Tannehills wrote the book, The Market for Liberty, which you can actually get for free over at book.freetalklive.com, you can listen to an audiobook version for free, or you can download a PDF and read that. Uh, but even they had envisioned this reputations rating system, and they had envisioned back with 1970s technology how it could be done. So they saw it as a possibility back then, and if it was a possibility in the 1970s, it's even more so a possibility today. And I think that hopefully that has addressed his uh, question. He says, I don't. And, and um, as, as far as arbitration goes and, and um, people for defrauding the system, that happens today. We're not talking about utopia. Yeah. Um, you're talking about something that works better. and That's the idea. I, I think it might. I don't know. And allowing the marketplace to solve whatever problems might come up. If, if there is a problem, then entrepreneurs in search of a profit will figure out a way to overcome that. Anyway, it's been Ian here with you. And Sam. And Mark. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow night. Join us online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronic, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.